0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito, for this on WCPT 820.
1: Well, welcome. Good afternoon. This is, uh, what's today? Is today's Monday? Gosh, we're already back to the beginning of a new week. This is the Joan Esposito Show, live, local, and progressive. But of course, this is not Joan Esposito. This is Richard Chu, one of the uh, members of the WCPT team, and more specifically of the family meeting, on Sundays here uh, on WCPT, 4 to 6 p.m. Joan asked me to sit in for her today. Uh, she had a very busy week last week, as you guys may know. Uh, she, Santita, and um, uh, Patty Vasquez were the uh, hosts, if you will, moderators of the WCPT mayoral forum that was held at the uh, Morningstar uh, auditorium here in Chicago. So uh, The ladies are taking a little bit of a breather. Uh, Patty won't be on to later on today uh, She's got some other work she's doing, but I'm um, pleased to be here honored to be here sitting in uh, For Joan Esposito. My name's Richard Chu um, The number here is seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight I'll be with you for the next three hours and I plan on having a uh, a good time, some informative uh, things happening. My man, Paul, is going to keep us engineeringly sound as I make up a word. But uh, today I'm going to have some really special guests calling into the show uh, from California, from Ohio and locally here in Chicago to discuss uh, a handful of things. Health and wellness, uh, policing in America, social media's impact on politics, local and uh, regional political races, uh, giving us an opportunity to talk about a handful of things and try to layer it all into the context of progressive um, radio and progressive politics. So um, I'm going to start off myself talking about a little bit of what happened last week. Um, and uh, obviously, we're going to touch on some touchy subjects, the obvious one, if you will, the elephant in the room um, with regard to the murder of uh, Tyree Nichols um, and uh, some other a topic surrounding that Yesterday on the family meeting, you heard Eric And I discuss some of the things that we See that are systemic changes That need to take place, uh, not just uh, Here in Chicago, but across the Country in terms of Policing and how that's impacting our society And, and I look at it from How policing is impacting uh, Our, econ- our eco- uh, Economics, can not speak right there How policing is impacting our economics And um, So we'll get into a lot, a lot of that uh, the next three hours and um, starting off, like I said, by discussing some of the things that uh, happened here in Chicago last Thursday and Friday, as many of you may know, some of you were there. Many of you listened and or or watched uh, and then read the great uh, cover story that was in the Chicago Tribune. WCPT hosted the Chicago Mayor Oral Forum, um, and it included the nine candidates of which um we had the opportunity to to invite and have them there and for a fairly handsome discussion. I won't say it was necessarily a debate because it was fairly structured uh, with very specific questions uh, for individuals, for in, for the individual candidates as well as as a group. And um, I think that all the candidates did well. Uh, uh, Paul and uh, one of our station leaders uh, were, and, and I were just talking about this a moment ago about how did what how they did, why they did, what they did, and what could have been done better. So I'm going to start off by kind of diving into the deep end of the pool of last week's, um, specifically Thursday's uh, forum and my observations. Uh, I invite you guys to call in uh, to chat and and state your your thoughts and feelings as well. But when um, when you have an event like that, you know you, you always you know you never see what goes on behind the scenes and. WCPT was a big part of, if not the part of what went on behind the scenes to make sure things happened and went smoothly. I think that that was one of the great things about what we did as a as a team at CPT um, and and what Matt did and, and, and all the engineering people that were part of it. Um, that made this event go off very, very well. And technologically, I think that's a that's important to say now. Let's kind of break this down for the five. You know, I got to see all nine candidates speak, and I'll speak to the five that I spent the entire time, their entire um, segment. Uh, Those uh, first five candidates that spoke were the incumbent, Mayor uh, Lori Lightfoot, uh, Chewy Garcia, Paul Vallis, uh, Willie Wilson, Dr. Willie Wilson, and um, Commissioner Brandon Johnson. So what happened? Well, the format was such that as you guys may know, uh, there, were an, there was an opportunity for each of the candidates to have a, a two-minute opening on who they are, why they're running, and what their uh, goals and objectives are uh, in running for the mayor's uh, office. And they all did that, and then we went into some questions and this, that, and the other. My overarching observation, and I made this with Eric uh, shortly after um, the, the event, is in terms of the five, we watched again all nine candidates, but of the first five, the thing that I'm most noted from them all is that um, they they all were pretty much saying similar things and or talking about a similar concern, which is uh, crime and or violence in the city of Chicago. And the thing that I found very interesting and a lot of, a number of things that were uh, interesting. Uh, But this was a very interesting point, is that each of the candidates spoke about the fact that we have a violence problem, we have a crime problem in the city of Chicago. And I don't disagree with that. I think we do have a a problem with, with crime in the city of Chicago, and we have a problem with crime in the top 10 cities in the United States. That's a fact, and I don't have data from Los Angeles, New York, uh, Houston, Atlanta, Dallas, San Francisco, um, D.C., and what did I leave out? I think that's nine, But uh, and we could probably throw in there uh, probably, probably I think the next thing would, would be Miami and or Detroit, but if we take the top 15 cities. They all There's crime in all of them. Atlanta, I'm sorry. So let's break down the conversation about violence or crime in, in the United States. Um, Happens everywhere it happens in metropolitan areas, densely populated areas. It happens in rural, uh, regional areas. It happens in rural areas. The question is per capita. What happens in terms of how many people commit or are affected by crime in a given mar- um, uh, marketplace or given city, rural area, uh, g- regional area or state? So I think that we oftentimes and we talked about this yesterday in the family meeting. One of the things that I felt that the each of the candidates, except one, for the most part, missed this opportunity. And that is that they didn't speak to how we got here. And that's a big one for me. I, I believe um, I'm, I you know, kind of call myself a little bit of a social scientist or at least um, a human scientist as it relates to. How things get to where they are. And sometimes, Paul, my friends and certainly my family laugh at me because I can, you know, quickly get into the weeds psychologically as to why something is the way that it is. My wife laughs at me all the time when I joke that should not say joke. I laugh. She laughs at me jokingly about how I can quickly get into the weeds psychologically as to why. Anybody does anything. Family, friend, foe, business associate. And she I, I, I am thankful that she's patient with my uh, the degree that I don't have in psychology or sociology. Um, but life has taught me that it's important to find out why a person or a group of people does do what they do. And what is it that's behind that curtain, so to speak, to cause us to do certain things? I mean, you're a father, you have children, Mm -hmm. and you know that there's behavior that your children engage in. And I'm I'm certain, because I know you reasonably well, that you want to kind of figure out why they're doing what they're doing, Mm -hmm. rather than just say, stop doing it. So right now, when we look at our... We look at violence or crime in America. I have to ask the question, or I'm not being true to myself. Why are we here, and how did we get here? Rather than just putting a ban- another band-aid on a problem that impacts all of us, whether it be directly, mildly, directly, or indirectly, it affects all of us. That's what I don't see we as a as a country addressing, and I didn't see. Um, four of the five, uh, um, for lack of better words, first five candidates really speak to that. And I think collectively that's where the real
2: conversation could have been. I think they briefly touched on it when they were talking about the unhoused because Mm -hmm. people are willing to admit, at least with the homeless problem, that there are varied reasons why people are homeless. Right. Whereas with crime there's also varied reasons and i think you guys were touching on that on the family meeting of you know throwing more police at the problem doesn't solve the problem at the root of the you know there's there's a cause to all of this and i think it's it's varied it's it's just such a, you know it 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 might be out of necessity for some people to be criminal just to to get by you know whether they have to just kind of lie cheat steal their way through life um because of the circumstances that they're going through, so yeah, I, I think the the getting to the why of crime was never really addressed in that that forum or, or even at all. I think I think with a lot of the the conversations about this city and 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 crime, people aren't really willing to go. People are acknowledging that there's a problem, and not really like, well, you know, how do you psychoanalyze the how do we get here and what can we do to kind of try and cut it off or limit it? Yeah,
1: and and I. And I so so to Paul's point um yes they did touch on it a little bit when a little bit when the question came up about the the homeless or houseless um uh epidemic that we have in Chicago and across the country uh particularly in any of our top 10 or 20 metropolitan areas so the the reason that I go um down the road and stay in the weeds on the why is I look at it like anything that you're trying to fix or resolve um, and we could, could be very, very granular on this as it relates to individuals, but we can also just look at some of the, I mean, we'll look at health, for example. Um, and, and, you know, I go to, I, the, the go-to can be cancer. Cancer is something that every, impacts every single one of us in one way or another, again, directly or indirectly. And if cancer is going to be, if a person is diagnosed with cancer and, and they have to go through a certain amount of treatment, but the doctors, the specialists, they go, they literally have to find out what's the origin of it before they can actually repair that body and re- and try to do something to abate it getting worse or continuing. And, and I think that we missed the boat. And I think that certainly um, uh, the candidates last week missed the opportunity to go down that road to talk about the why? Why did we? How have we get, How have we gotten here? And why did we get here? Uh, what are some of the circumstances? And to your point, um, it it also it always goes back to what is it that's going on in our 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 communities economically? As I see it, I think I have a I have a um, maybe a very baseline answer to why, and I think part of that is d- due to the fact that there is there are a large number of people in different. Um, cultural communities and I won't, you know, just single out a one community, i.e. Um, the African-American community or the Hispanic community or Asian community, uh, the middle class or lower middle class uh, um, white community or any others. I'll single out the, what I think is a common issue and that is economic disparity, uh, resource disparity. And those things, um, and again, I, I think that our candidates last week um, sans Brandon Johnson, to a great extent, missed the opportunity to ask the question to the group or ask the question to all of us that were there and the greater uh, viewing audience. Why, why are we here? How did we get here? Yesterday, we talked about this on the family meeting, and, and as Paul just mentioned. Yes, throwing crime as, it, as a, um, a huge issue in the country is not going to be fixed by throwing more police officers at it in any community. Now, there's data that shows that if there are this, there's an increase in um, uh, police officers in a particular area that that can that can mis- uh, redirect or abate some of the potential things that can be criminal. However, because of what I learned last week about the uh, close ratio or the solve ratio of, the, of a number of crimes that have taken place in the city of Chicago, that that's disturbing because if we've raised the number of police officers in any community, yet the number of crimes haven't proportionately gone down, then that says that the rate just by itself, raising the number of police officers doesn't in and of itself fix crime, because if that were the case, let's, let's just look at it from a purely um, do we have the resources to really lean into it? If if solving crime was a item that could be fixed with hiring more law enforcement, gun carrying, bulletproof wearing police officers. Then I think that most cities would just open up the bank account and say, "We're going to hire rather than 1,700 in Chicago. We're going to hire you know twice that amount." Yeah. That if, if it if it truly was going to fix the problem, then why just hire 17, hire 3,400, and then go about doing the business of of, of stopping crime. But they know that. So that's where I go. They know that that's not going to fix the problem mm-hmm. because a person that's of right mind. And when I, I want to get to one of the pieces about this, that's that um, Brandon Johnson touched on and and, and the mayor, in, in all fairness to to Mayor Lightfoot, she touched on this a little bit, too. But part of the issue is if we're going to hire sixteen, seventeen hundred 1,700 more police officers in the city of Chicago or if any city in the country is going to take upon themselves to hire a large number of, of uh, officers, there's got to be a component in there for the mental health piece. There has to be. If there's not, then because what, I've, what I learned was, and I'm just writing this down so I make sure I, I remembered it correctly, 40% of the 911 calls that come in, I believe it's 40%. And if, it's in, if, I'm, if I'm wrong and somebody heard differently, let me know. 40% of the 911 calls are have ultimately proven themselves out to be one where there's a psychological issue going on. There's a mental health component to it. Now, that doesn't say that within that 40%, that 30% of that 40% were not you know, ultimately a violent uh, crime situation. But 40% of those scenarios are mental health related. So that right there says that you can't hire the, the 100% of who you're going to hire as law enforcement, gun-toting, bulletproof, vest-wearing officers. Are, if they're not equipped to deal with a large portion of, you know, of what they're going to deal with, then it's going to end up just like we've seen so many things end up. I'm, I'm of the mindset that if we don't address that mental health issue in the hiring or the use of the resources – then we're going to continue to make to actually make the problem worse when it comes to how police are viewed in any community, certainly in communities that have been that are in that. Um, the other statistics: seventy five percent of the crime in Chicago takes place in six percent of the neighborhoods, or seventy five percent of the crime that takes place, violent crimes in Chicago take place in six percent of the of the population, not neighborhoods, okay, but the population. So I guess depending on how you. break that down further. So again, throwing some data back at everybody, if 40% of the crimes or 40% of the 911 calls are mental health related, and they're sending police officers out to attend to that, that's not the best use of that resource. One. So in the new hiring, then we should make sure that there's a large percentage of those new hires that are equipped to handle the mental health component of the 911 calls, and the and then the um, um, the allocation of of officers or trained professionals to go and service that community. So we're going to take a little bit of a break. Uh, this is Richard Chu sitting in for Joan Esposito. The phone number is seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. We'll be right back.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT eight twenty.
1: The number is seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. I'm Richard Chu, sitting in for the great Joan Esposito. So we were talking before the break about the percentages, the data, if you will, of what's happening when when um, a nine one one call takes place uh, here in the city of Chicago. These are da- these are data points or information that were that was provided to us last week during the mayoral forum. Uh, and as I was saying, if 40 percent of the 911 calls are health care related or more specifically mental mental health related, then if the city ends up hiring these 16 or 1700 additional um, officers, doggone it, they need to be trained in that space. I'm not saying that they don't hire them. I don't agree with that necessarily. I think that if they're going to, though, they have to have folks who are trained in that space, because if not, we're going to continue to repeat the issue, the problem of people um, needing help from law enforcement but not getting the help that they need when those officers show up because the officers aren't equipped to deal with that mental health issue. So I'm not a doctor. I'm not a law enforcement person. uh, But I am one that has enough common sense to know that if that's where we have got data to back up, that there's an issue there then we need to make sure we're taking the time to deal with with that. Um, One of the guests that's going to be calling in. Uh, we we'll, we'll uh i'm I'm gonna ask her to to give us a couple of uh her thoughts on on the overall issue of stress and some of our um, mental propensities that we're all dealing with uh, I don't really want to spoil it for you guys uh until she calls in but um we'll have a little bit of fun with that I think again going back to this percentage of seventy five percent and six percent of the of the population um, is that's a big deal because what what I'm concerned about that can happen is that we could end up allocating resources to communities that, when I say resources, I'm talking about the law enforcement resources. We could end up allocating those law enforcement resources to areas that don't need law, more more police officers. Because if we did, if, we, if, they, if more police officers, and I'm going to be beating this drum for a while because i that 's part of the problem with some of the issues that we have is that we don 't beat the drum long enough. we kind of walk away, people get you know fed up with dealing with it and, and then they move on to the next thing. This is an issue because if the if the resources are allocated too heavily to these the six percent of the city 's population as it relates to crime, then we 're not fixing the core problem where I go back to where I started, and that is the why the why why do we have such a disproportionate number of people from certain communities uh, committing crimes. And, And Eric and I talk about this so often on the family meeting, rather than asking the question necessarily what's wrong with that 6%, if you will, of the population or of those of the communities where the, where the crime seems to be happening, the violent crime more specifically, what's, Rather than asking what's wrong there, let's ask what's right in other communities. So, for example, if we were to break down the city, every now and again, um, and, and you know, as, you, as some of you guys may know, I'm like Eric; we both are financial advisors and wealth managers in our other, our real lives, if you will. And one of the things that we, I spend a lot of time doing is looking at where the trends are in population, uh, where the trends are in housing development, uh, where the trends are as it relates to commercial. Um, Buildings as well As new businesses Going in for the sole purpose of Determining you know who we are Looking at working with um, In business so that's something that I do a lot so oftentimes Paul I'll pull up a map of the city of Chicago And the greater Cook County To look at the number of um, What the populations Are in certain zip codes and then To see what the, um, the Tax bases are and to also look at what the average um, uh, value of a home is in a particular zip code, so we know where the wealth is based on those those categories in in the city of Chicago and in greater Cook County. We know where that is, so what 's working in those communities why can't that be layered into communities where we it's not working or not not that it's not working or that they're, they've been identified, maybe better stated as the communities that fit into that six percent, because if it's working in one community, then what's different in that community or what would prevent that being layered um, that's the why that's the that's the what question and the how question the how is actually um, maybe a little bit more nuanced maybe it's going to take some time to get to that point but what i'm saying is we know some things are working in certain communities let's just duplicate that and rather than the proverbial reinventing the wheel let's just duplicate what's going on in certain parts of uh, the city of Chicago or the greater um, uh, Cook county. I think that the minute that the Leaders um, take that on as, as a way of fixing some of our problems. We'll, people will be forced to have the conversation about the, the disparity of resources across the city of Chicago. And that would be the same, um, for lack of better words, prescription and medicine for pretty much any city in, the, in America. Any place you go, there's going to be communities that it, certain things are working and they're working better than others. So, the minute that we can put ourselves in a position to fix that, the better. So, we're going to take another quick break. This is uh, Richard Chu sitting in for Joan Esposito, 773 763 9278. We'll be right back.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. And we are back. The
1: number is 773 763 9278. I'm Richard Chu sitting in for Joan Esposito today. Joan's out doing something in this cold weather we've got. Weather, peace of mind, calming oneself. We got a lot of stuff going on right now, y'all. It's crazy out there. We all know that. We're all sort of, sort of fighting the good fight of trying to keep our our minds and our spirits in a good space. And with all the stress that's happening right now, I I wanted to kind of give you guys a little bit of a of a gift. Um, my uh, my 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 newfound friend and associate. Uh, is calling in from warm, sunny California. Her name is Rebecca Kordeki. I'll take a moment and introduce you guys to her. Rebecca has been really one of the leading people in the space of breathing and, you know, kind of mental health and is the founder of the Breathe Zone, RF, I'm sorry, RK Fit, and the creator of, you'll love this title, Booty Slide. Um, in the last four years She's added Breathe work To her list of expertise She's been featured On the Today Show Extra Hollywood Life She works with a number Of well-known celebrities uh, The Rock D- uh, Dwayne Johnson Melanie Griffith Jim Carrey um, and, and then the list goes on. The reason I wanted to invite her in, uh, invite her to call in, I should say, and she, like the rest of you, you won't believe she's calling from Southern California, because when you hear her, her start talking, you're gonna go, wait a minute, she sounds like she's talking in a tunnel. That's cause she's fighting allergies today. But, uh, I wanna welcome, um, my, my good buddy, Rebecca Kordeki. Hey, Rebecca.
3: Hey, Richard, thank you for that sweet intro. I love it. And don't hate on me for being in warm sunny Cali. I'm so sorry. But wait, does it count? Does it count that I'm also born in Chicago?
1: That's one of the reasons that I figured you'd be be a welcome caller today is because you're born here yeah. in Chicago. So, That's right. That's it, well, right. listen, thanks for, uh, for for calling in. I wanted to give uh, you an opportunity just to, to give a few shout outs in terms of what you do and and why it's important. We Right now, we're all dealing with the with some of the 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 local stresses where we are you guys have had torrential rains the last few weeks we it's it's 12 degrees outside in Chicago we're dealing with the weather stress climatic stress we're dealing with all sorts of things that are external and obviously there's a number of internal things that people are all dealing with and the reason that I thought it would be good just to have you come in for a few minutes is to first of all say hey and what's up but also to just have you take a couple of minutes and share with uh our listeners and our, our audience why um why you do what you do.
3: Ah, uh, okay. Wow. Do you have time for that? <laughs> That's a long ass story. <laughs>
1: yes it is.
3: But, no, uh, but thank you for that opportunity. And, you know, for me, I believe that, you know, for many years, 20, almost 28 years now, I've been in wellness in this space of mind, body, spirit space. And, you know, I've worked with so many different modalities from teaching people how to use their bodies more effectively through personal training and through diet, uh, coaching, and also doing massage therapy with people. But the one tool that I've used over the last seven, eight years, which is a new tool and my wellness tool belt is this breathwork modality. And out of everything I've done in 28 years, it is the biggest game changer, needle mover modality I've ever found to help people go from where they are to where they want to be. And it's, you know, we hear the word breathwork thrown around a lot, especially with, you know, all that's been going on in the world the last three years. And people go, oh, you're going to teach me how to breathe? Well, I do that every day. That's silly. But there's something about um, learning how to harness the power of breath rather than just involuntarily breathing every single day. And so what I get to teach people to do is show them how to use the gift of breath in a much more, mm, I guess the best word is, effective magical powerful way and so yeah and i've just fallen in love with this work. Um, and honestly, Richard, it's so simple that even just the act of taking in one big, deep inhale into the nose with a big, audible sigh out of the mouth can be a game changer. Um, you're familiar with that, with what I'm referring to, right? Oh,
1: Richard? absolutely. I, 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 before <laughs> right. I went on Let's today.
3: Together. <laughs> Let's do one, right? And so, you know, just in a big inhale into the nose and it sounds like this. And then the big audible sigh as you open up the mouth and you just let everything go. I call it the sigh of relief. Some people call it a sigh of relief, but I call it a sigh of relief because we're letting go of what I call the heavy. Sometimes it's stress, sometimes it's fear, sometimes it's loss. Um, and it, from A to Z, right? We're always dealing with emotions and, uh, yeah. So, so ask away, is there any specific questions you want me to share?
1: Well, I like what you said about letting go of the heavy, because, you know, right now, uh, obviously, this is a progressive talk show, and progressive station with a progressive audience. And one of the things that we're all dealing with, irrespective of what, you know, uh, social, political, financial you know, gang or team we're a part of is that we're all dealing with navigating stress in some way or another. Yeah. And, um, when you talk about letting, letting go of the heavy, um, I wanted, I'm curious for you, uh, when you're working with, with clients and when you're working with people to help them in that space, what are you seeing as the number one, um, for lack of better words, category? or area that people are coming to you to say, Rebecca, I'm stressed with, fill in the blanks.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow, great question. I mean... Obviously, there's so many things, but I have been able to distill it down to, like, the main areas that people are struggling with lately. I think, you know, one big one that I think everyone probably can lean into is uncertainty Mm -hmm. in the world. uh, The big pivot that everyone, many people have had to do in their businesses in the last three years and what the new world looks like. And so finding your footing and your grounding. So a lot of, like I said, uncertainty and fear around and now Quite honestly, the state of the economy, um, without getting political, but uh, so so fear, I think, of un- and uncertainty around career and what's next, as well as you know, which I think this always exists. Um, this lack of self worth and self esteem and self confidence that I don't I don't know why it seems to be one of the big prevalent ones that I'm dealing with a lot lately, where people just don't feel worthy of have beautiful gifts in their life, right? So I work a lot with people, not only with stress and fears, but also with just building up their self-esteem and their self-confidence and their self-worth. And breath work has been, for me, the biggest way to connect people back to their own heart. Um, and spirit and self-worth and self-love and all of the kind of esoteric words that sometimes is too goofy to talk about, but it's real.
1: Yeah. Did you did you find or I should say asking you the more open, open question, um, how has the pandemic broad question with probably some specific scenarios? How is the pandemic um in, you know, impacted that or made that whatever it is better, worse. I mean, how has the pandemic and, and all that dealt um, been for people in your experience? Yeah, no,
3: I feel like, honestly, it it whatever it took out whatever everyone's issue already was that they were maybe dealing with, you know, below the surface and it was a low-grade hum. It's now, mag- the pandemic has magnified a lot of those things they were already sort of dancing with and made it, you know, like magnified it tenfold. So if they were already having a little uncertainty in fear in their work or business for whatever reason, then the pandemic comes right and that's tenfold. Um, if they were already feeling uncertain or unworthy or you know, had lack of confidence, now this kind of crazy world we're in has changed that and magnified that as well. Um and obviously stress and anxiety just in general, have gone through the roof. Um, depression, suicide ideation, as well as just suicide in general, have all skyrocketed as well. Um, drug abuse, uh, you know, all all the things. And you know, unfortunately, we do have the pandemic to thank for. Now that said, though, there's a lot of people that have thrived. You know, the opposite end of the spectrum have thrived during the pandemic and found a way to pivot fast and you know, were able to turn their businesses into a winning business and where maybe they were struggling before because they were able to, you know, I guess, find an opening, right, where there was a need they could fill right. in the pandemic. Um, so, you know, there's both sides of the coin, but I would say if I were to say what's the percentage of more negative to more positive, I'd say, unfortunately, it's, it's been, there's been a more negative hit.
1: Got it. All of yeah. What, what are you seeing are, are some of the, the simple uh, things that, for, for, and so where, where I'm going with this is, not everybody knows about you, but everybody knows that they can in some way reach out for, for help and support and, and that sort of thing to, to better where they are. Um, what, when, when you are working with someone initially, what are you first looking for to determine how you can help someone?
3: Well, one of the first things I always do is we start with like a gauging scale, kind of a rating scale to identify where they are on a spectrum of whether it's, let's say they come to me with stress. So if they come to me, I want them to give themselves a rating. If there's a scale of one to 10, 10 being um, I'm about to be in the hospital for my stress and one being I'm awesome. I have no issues in the world. I always ask them to rate where they're at um, whether it's stress, Fear, um, uncertainty, uh, grieving, whatever whatever emotion or or energy they're struggling with, we rate it first so that I can get a, a read on where they're at and where I want to take them. So if they're at an eight, I know my job is to get them down to a three, four, something manageable, and then I know once I understand which area they're struggling with the most on these scales, you know, when I look at the ratings they've given me on the different areas, then I dive into that area that's obviously listing the highest on the scale. And that's the first place I start. And then I bring out the tools, whether it's breath work or mindset coaching or just simply moving your body and leaning into meditation and affirmations and all those things, which is super effective as well. Um, I just decide which tool is appropriate to use, given where they're at. Also, given the kind of person they are, the kind of human they are. I believe we all have, for fitness, I use something called the Q. And that we all have a personality that's going to lean us more towards one style of working out than another, where we'll be more in flow with it. So I always like to see where people are at with their personality before I give them a certain modality. So.
4: Those
1: are all the things I take into account, yeah. That's fantastic. Well, I really um, I, I wanted to reach out to you, my friend, and, and have you be able to uh, call in for a few minutes since I was uh, guest hosting today and just have you um, yeah. sort of put out some good energy for folks who are probably feeling the craziness of the things that we're all dealing with and obviously the stress of uh, where we are, you know, maybe socially, politically. And here in Chicago, with it being 12 degrees outside, but um, Rebecca, I... Uh, yeah. As we as we wrap up, um, uh, give our, our listeners and followers a, a little bit of information on how they can reach out to you and maybe do some work with you virtually and how to find you.
3: Sure. Sure. First thing I want to say just to tag on to is just to remind everybody that you literally and I don't say this tongue in cheek or cliche. I mean this seriously. We are all literally just one deep, purposeful breath away from feeling a little bit better. And it's one breath at a time so if you string a bunch of those together you're all automatically going to feel a little bit better and start there and then add on right so just to, to give everyone the reminder that it can start with a big deep breath and then you can ground and feel okay. Now I can make decisions, right? Um, but I wanted to just say that. And, and then, as far as how people can find me, I'm super easy to find. If you look for my website, it's Rebecca Um Should I spell my name?
1: probably a good idea.
3: Yeah. So it's R-E-B is a boy, E-C-C-A Cordeki with a K-K-O-R-D-E-C-K-I. Dot com. I'm also on Instagram under the exact same spelling and name. And I think those are the first two best ways to start to connect
1: with me. Absolutely. Well, Rebecca, listen, girlfriend, I'm glad you called in. I'm glad you're doing okay. I know you got this, You got the uh, allergy thing going on. I, I know that feeling. Yes. Take care of yourself, yes. and thank you for taking care of so many people. And uh, we will have you back again in the future. Stay safe, and we will talk soon. Thanks for calling in. Awesome.
5: Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye that was rebecca cordeki um she is uh, one of those people that i like to say helps folks feel better and her breathe uh zone and uh rk fit are great uh tools and and just i, I was i was thinking about things that i could kind of throw in the mix today uh sitting in for joan and i just feel like with all of the stress that we are all dealing with, as Rebecca said, and it's in different categories for different different folks and for different reasons, um, that it would be good to have her kind of call in. She's great, and she's helped so many people, and you should check her out. Um, you can follow her on Instagram. You can also uh, go to her website. But um, I know we're coming up on a quick break we're going to take, Paul. And then after we come back, we're going to grab a few callers, and then we'll be at the top of the hour with another guest calling in. So the number is 773-763-9278. We'll be right back.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Hey, guys. This is
1: Richard Chu sitting in for the great Joan Esposito. And uh, that was Rebecca Kordecki, uh, one of my uh, one of my partners out in uh, Southern California. She is a fitness instructor, uh, personal trainer, and she has a wonderful business, uh, uh, BreatheWorks, which is just something you guys should check out. And I thought, like I said, it'd be a good gift to everybody to uh, to uh, tap into her work as we all are dealing with some of the stresses of the day to day lives that we live we got a few folks that have called in, Paul, I guess they have something to say. Why don't we start off with uh, Regina here in Chicago? Regina, welcome to, uh, I almost said the family meeting. <laughs> welcome to WCPT, Joan Esposito's show, live, local, and progressive. What can I do for you?
4: Well, thanks, Richard. Um, I'm in my car, so I hope you can hear me.
1: I can hear you well, fine.
4: I was- Oh, good, good. I was really told to call him because I have a little story to tell you about. Okay. But first, to address your issue that you were talking about, and it's not really talked about. I've been listening to countless radio shows over the weekend since this tragedy broke down in Memphis. And what they really don't talk about is who the policemen are when you were talking about the why something happens, how so come we don't hear about all of these tragic stories from FBI agents? Mm-hmm. Because FBI agents are highly trained. Many of them have degrees. They have a background. In order to become an agent, you are checked out. Your background is thoroughly gone through. Case in point, I... I'm a teacher. They make us go through all kind of hoops. Okay. We do, uh, classes. We have to recertify and all sorts of things. So that's one aspect, but I had the occasion to have to call the police because there was a strange person lurking around the school and I couldn't get him off of school property. Two black officers showed up and, uh, the school that I'm running was a daycare center at the time. And I was his director. It was nap time. They came in. I explained the situation to them. By that time, the guy had left, but they wanted to get a description and things like that. So I'm telling them the story. And one officer was very loud. And, and and just, you know, very, uh, I don't want to use the word abusive, but he was very uh, rough and rough in his tone. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, could you keep it down because the kids are napping? I had signs all over, you know, during this particular time, don't ring the doorbell, don't do this, don't do that. You know, you know it's because my hallway that she came into was open.
6: Right. Okay.
4: And... That guy looked at me. I don't know what all was going through his mind, but he seemed perturbed. Me as a woman was asking him to be quiet. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he was abrasive more to me. He kind of, like, like I had the gall or the nerve to ask him to be quiet. So his partner stepped up and said, Yo, yo, bro. You know, uh, you know, keep it down. And she says, "Here's the next. So, I'm like you, Richard. When I meet people, you have to prove to me you're not crazy, okay?
1: <laughs> well, because Regina,
4: people le- have gotten <laughs> people have gotten crazy about the day. But anyway, um, well.
1: Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. Well, no, no, no. I, I uh, and I'll, I, I always, I always want to give folks a window to chat, and then I have to kind of dive in because of the other callers. Exactly. So, so yeah. here, here's where I, you made a comment. I'm going to try to address that, and then layer forward. Um, we, <laughs> we have, uh, we clearly have a standard that needs to be raised when it comes to the law yes. enforcement. Uh, officers that work in the metropolitan, work for cities, municipalities. Um, we, we, that, that's the, So you may not have heard us say this yesterday on the family meeting, and Paul alluded to it earlier. Um, Eric and I, Eric Grant and I, of the, of the mindset that we need to pull up the, the police departments from the roots and rebuild. Oh, yeah. And I know that there is probably a lot of people that think that I might be crazy, or we might be crazy for saying that, but I really don't care because what's what's going on right now is not working. What what's happening is not working, and it's not the citizens that are the problem. It is, and and we could look at we could look at the situation that took place, this awful murder of Tyree Nichols in in uh, in, in Memphis, as a, as an outlier, but it's not. It keeps repeating itself. There is a systematic and systemic problem. And the the I saw something posted on on Instagram this morning um, about the officers weren't as I'm sorry. Uh, the the late Tyree Nichols seemed to have a greater command of the English language than the officers who murdered him did. So that says something to me that a person would find would would observe that from a video. Exactly. But but I, again, I don't yep. want to get in the weeds on this. Yes, simply stated, we need to rebuild our police departments across the country because every city—we'll take the top ten, we'll take the medium ten, we'll take the lower ten. Every one of them has issues that can be that are causing people to die. And simply okay. stated, I believe that that's a, that's a, a problem that it's fixable, but it's a question of will the country on an individual basis, meaning individual cities and, 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 and marketplaces have the will to dig in to do the work. So, Regina, listen, drive carefully. Thank you so much for calling in. You are not crazy. And, uh, make sure to st- continue to follow WCPT and, and, and all the programming that we have here. Thanks for calling in, Regina.
4: Thank you, I appreciate
1: you. You're welcome. Be well. Hey, I mean, she makes a great point. Um, you know, the, the FBI, the standard in the FBI. I don't know the details. I know that their training is is pretty robust. Um, I've had the occasion to meet uh, some FBI officers. Some of them were former military that ended up working for the FBI. And the standard's higher, and I think that our our uh, municipalities should do the same, whether it be city police or whether it be county police, county sheriffs, rather, um, et cetera. Because it's going to continue, and I'm going to beat the drum. I said it earlier, and I'm passionate about it. Until the work is done, or the identification that that's, that that there is that that true problem, and then the work has to be done. It's just it's, there's no there's no turning away from that. Turning away from it is is no longer an option. Not that it ever was an option, but it's no longer something that we should allow to happen. I know we're coming up on the uh, top of an hour break, Paul. Are we uh, getting that pretty close? Mm -hmm. So the number... The number is 773-763-9278. I see you out there, Jim. Um, I see you, Greg. I know we've got a couple other folks that are called in. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have a guest caller that uh, is going to talk to us a little bit about some of the things that are going on. Um, this is Richard Chu sitting in for Joan Esposito. 773 763 is the number. We'll be right back. Kevin
7: McCarthy in 2015 when he thought he was speaking privately to Paul Ryan, says to him, swear to God, where it was his exact words, that Putin is paying two people, Trump and Dana Rohrabacher. More recently, Hillary brought up that she was quite sure, and she didn't say the name, that the Russians were grooming somebody in the Democratic Party. And then suddenly Tulsi Gabbard started attacking and using Russian talking points and and left the party and campaigning for the far right. Anybody doesn't believe that this stuff in our international age, where bank accounts that are offshore can be hidden, We know they gave money to Marine Le Pen, the fascist in France. They caught them making bank transfers. So there's just so much of this. You'd have to be completely blind to not sit there and look at this and say, something's up. It may not be a direct, you're our spy, but here's lots of money. Hey, we'd like to talk to you about this.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: Welcome back, everybody. This is Richard Chu sitting in for the great Joan Esposito. And that was my man Cliff Schechter. Putting it down on his new wonderful channel and information on YouTube, Blue Amp Channel with Cliff Schechter. How you doing, my man? What's going on? I'm doing great,
8: Richard. Thanks for having me on, buddy.
1: How are you doing? I'm doing great, freezing my behind off here in Chicago. What, what uh, are you in? Uh, where are you now in Cincy, or where? Where are you? Yeah, I'm in Cincy, so it, it, it's pretty cold here too. 34, 33. Oh, 20 that's 20, nothing. 40, it's twelve 40. degrees outside. It's going to be oh my God. one I'm tonight. Tougher than we are. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. It's just you know, it's it's the mid. It's our midwestern thing. We're in the upper Midwest, obviously, or central Midwest. You're in the central south Midwest. But it's good to have you on the show. Thanks for calling in for a minute. And listen, you guys, in case you all don't know, Cliff Schechter is one of the leading voices, progressive voices in the country. He's been in the fight for a long time. Um, He's he's an author. He, He is, you know, in one of the one of those pundits that gets it right because he does his research. He looks into a subject, a topic and says, "Okay, how is this? Uh, how am I going to approach and land my plane of observations when it comes to this matter? And that's one of the things that I really love about listening to Cliff when he's on the air, uh, both on YouTube. And you guys got to check out his channel. It is the bomb. You really got to check out his work at Blue Amp Channel. But also what I what I really enjoy and respect about Cliff is that uh, he's not when he talks about a subject. Uh, it's not filled with hyperbole. He knows what he's talking about. So, Cliff, uh, like I said, man, it's glad to have. I'm glad to have you on. I've been wanting to connect with you for a couple of months now, and we just schedules never kind of matched up. But uh, Joan asked yep. me to sit in for it today, and I thought, wow, I got to reach out to my man and see if he can call in for a bit. What's going on? What's happening? What are, what well, are you well, observing in this crazy a world we're in right <laughs> recently? My God.
8: Well, I'll start off by saying that was all very kind what you just said about me. Thank you. Um, that was really nice. Absolutely. Um, yeah, You know, and you're helping me feel a little better because, you know, it was a tough Bengals loss last night.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I I'm wasn't going to go there. I figured I'll I'll keep my mouth shut on that because you've had yeah. to. Don't and get the, me started complaining about the refs and talking about bad guys. <laughs> you, you don't want that. In the last 13 months, you've suffered some losses that nobody should have to deal with in sports.
8: <laughs> yeah, I agree. Listen, that's, you know, uh, it's the way it goes, of course. Um Listen, there in Chicago, some Cubs fans went through a lot more,
1: so... Absolutely.
8: We all have our... We are. In any case, um, you know, you played one of the videos I did before, the YouTube videos, uh, which is kind of of you, and you started this off, and I mean, honestly, that's a lot of what what I've been doing. Uh, People love sort of throwing around when you start pointing out stuff that's right in front of your face and saying, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist and this and that. I was talking about George Santos in that video, and... You know, we've heard all of this stuff, all the stuff that the the press likes to talk about because it's uh, the uh, the you know I don't sexy not in the way of like sexy but sexy and that it gets people's attention, right? Mm-hmm. He was a drag queen at some point, but he you know he lied about that and, and and he sold jewelry jewelry from somebody he lived with and pawned it and you know he did this and he did that lied about his name, lied about working at Goldman Sachs, going to you know NYU and all this kind of stuff. But the thing that I, that I don't hear them talking about is. You know, he, he was this nobody. He was a guy who who had no money. He had you know, telemarketing job, fine, nice middle class job, whatever. But he not the kind of person that like that, that people think is going to run for Congress. And then the next time he runs, he suddenly has millions of dollars in two years. He went mm-hmm. from not having any money to millions of dollars, giving himself half a million dollars. He it turns out he'd gone into business with, as well as. um had been loaded up with campaign cash. We've been able to trace $60,000 of it from this guy, Andrew Intrader, who is the, a Russian-American cousin of one of the sanctioned oligarchs, Victor Veckelsberg. Yep. And Intrader has always supported, you know, he gave $250,000 to Trump's inaugural in, in 2017 to meet with members of his cabinet. He gave um, he money to Tulsi Gabbard, the only Democrat he ever gave money to, uh, which is who I mentioned in that video. And and he jumped in and just only Republicans repeating these Russian talking points. So you've got this guy who was the nobody, but suddenly he's worth millions. And suddenly he's running for Congress and is suddenly funded by the Russian Amer- the cousin Russian American of a, a huge oligarch, aluminum oligarch. And this is a guy who's only supported pro-Russian Democrats and Republicans before. And I mean, and, and where are these questions being asked? I yeah. mean, this should be the most obvious thing in the world.
1: Well, some t- first of all, again, see, see what I said about Cliff. It, it was, it's true. Research. He knows his stuff. He dug in deeper and deeper and deeper. Eric Grant, who I uh, uh, co-host a family meeting with on Sundays, Cliff, always talks about um, people having permanent interest, but also people being intellectually curious. Cliff is the epitome of being intellectually curious and like me I like to dig in and find out why why or how when you were talking Cliff I wrote down two words why and how how in the hell did this guy get to this point financially how did he get there why aren't people who are supposed to be representing our permanent interest asking the question how did he get here now if he got there in manners which are okay then fine but it's just, you know, the, doesn't it bother you, Cliff? And I'm, I'm giving you a loaded question. But doesn't it bother you oh, when stuff on. is in front of people? It's right in front of you. And folks are just too doggone weak or scared to push the button and go, well, what the heck's going on here? This is crazy.
6: <laughs> I
8: mean, that's literally the reason I exist. So if people don't like me, get the media and other folks
1: to start doing their jobs, and I'll go away. Me too. <laughs> I mean, listen, that's why... Eric and I joke about this on, on the family meeting a lot, and Joan and I do too. I mean, and Joan's got, Joan is legendary here in Chicago and, 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 and in the in the Midwest. Um, we Everybody knows who she is, and she has always been one that's dug in and dug deeper and said, wait a minute, what's really going on here and why? If you follow her on Instagram and, and follow her on Twitter, you will see, like you, she often posts the question, how in the heck did we get to this point? Why isn't so and so in the media? And I hate to point the finger and say the they, the media, they are not doing their jobs. But the person, the pudding, they're not doing their job. Well, I try to be
8: clear, you know, Rich. I don't mean to get you up, but just to sort of say, because I don't like just saying, oh, all media is terrible.
6: No, there's right. terrific
8: members of our media. There, and sadly though, they seem to be always the exceptions, right? And and then. Big media, call whatever you want to call it, corporate media, big media, whatever, often doesn't want them around. I mean, I I think of someone like John Harwood, who never gave in to the both sides frame, always said stuff like it was and eventually got pushed out of of CNN because of it. You know, I I mean, I'm out here. I mean, obviously, I have a life as a consultant where I do public relations consulting for causes I care about and, you know. And, and certain politicians at times, I, I write TV ads, and you know I did that. I got, had lucky enough to have the opportunity to do that for President Biden's election in 2020. So I, I'm not saying I wouldn't exist you know, as, a, as a human if the media and others are doing their jobs, but I wouldn't be out here. The reason I have that YouTube channel, the reason that I write articles for the Daily Beast and other places, the reason that, that I'm doing the stuff I'm doing is because it drives me insane. This is, as you point out, right there in front of your face. Like I'm not saying anything that hasn't, you know, you know, that hasn't been reported,
0: before
8: by major news sources. But it's like they feel like they they say it once. They're like, okay, we've said it now, we can move on, as opposed to giving something proper context just because it's appeared in a few places before, most people have no idea the things that I'm saying right now, the people I'm talking about. I mean, this aluminum oligarch, Beckelsberg, who's tried to corrupt this country in all sorts of ways. I mean, we just had a, the time, you know, his partner, by the way, I'll say quickly, and then I'll, you know, throw to you. You know, his partner, the other guy who's either aluminum oligarchs together took over the whole industry in Russia is Oleg Deripaska, the guy that was paying off Paul Manafort and working with him. And the guy who we've all heard about in the last week, because he was paying off it's the FBI guy who was tasked with looking into him and looking into the relationship between Trump and Russia, McGonagall.
1: right? Who just got indicted. I, I don't. I don't. You're you're right. Yeah. And and then how man? We, we could we could just earlier. You you may have heard I had uh, um, my buddy uh, Rebecca Kordekian on who. Um, uh-huh. Is a, uh, a, a, a sports person, physical, uh, a personal trainer and runs a business, Breathe Works out in Los Angeles, Beverly Hills specifically. And, and I've, I've, like you, have had to have a lot of woo-saw moments in the last six years and more specifically in the last few months, given the craziness that's going on from a, from a here it is in front of your face political standpoint and not enough people seem to be um, invested, or or curious enough, or willing to say we got to dig deeper because there's some garbage here that we've got to figure out. The dots are and one of the things that I thought about when you were talking is that the dots are easy to connect with regard to some of the things that are happening. At least in my opinion, the dots are easy to connect, but folks just don't seem to want to do the work. And I was going to ask you this question, and and one of uh, one of our callers uh, reminded me to bring this up, Dara Pasca if I'm correct, and I is, is tied into, is from an aluminum uh, plant building standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, with McConnell, right? That's the same dude, correct. isn't it? So,
8: so, so after we knew about his relationship to Manafort, after we knew that they attacked us, because they did, they cyber attacked our election, and we're finding out still to this day with McGonagall more and more about what they did. But yes, 42 Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, And Rand Paul, also from Kentucky, who delivered a letter over to Putin, literally was like a courier for Trump and took a letter to Putin, which was also in newspapers everywhere. And and John McCain, who I wrote a book about and was critical of back in the day, it's funny how he's come to look better. you know, he—he's the one who, who basically referred to Senator Rand Paul as a senator from the Kremlin, They're doing the Kremlin's business. Right on the floor of the Senate, he said that. Well, so so to get to what you're saying, to those two and 40 other Republicans voted, and they were made sure they they they, they were able to undo sanctions against who Oleg Deripaska, who yep. then magically said, "I'm going to invest 200 million dollars in building an aluminum plant in Kentucky." Right. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like this. I mean, again, how can you? How can The New York Times, Washington Post, I don't care where you work. How can you look at these things and not connect those dots? And then you see these same people who support this guy Santos, who is nobody, who is nothing, you know, who's just a lifetime petty criminal Mm -hmm. and a perfect guy to have who you'd have compromise on, by the way.
1: That's exactly right. (laughs) <laughs> and then he, he suddenly has
8: millions, and he's running for any wins the congressional seat. Like, how do you not ask these questions?
1: I know. It's crazy, man. Cliff, listen, I know you've uh, you been busy lately, and I, I have to throw this out again, y'all. Blue Amp Channel on YouTube. You have to check it out. The The information that's there, the, the research, the hard work that Cliff Schechter puts in, the data that you guys can can watch on his YouTube channel is phenomenal. You got to check him out. Uh, you can follow him as well. Uh, you can follow him on YouTube with Blue, Ch- uh, Blue Amp Channel. You can follow Cliff on Twitter and you can follow him on Instagram. Just put his name in; it'll pop up. And this is a dude you got to get plugged into your uh, social media. Cliff, it's been great having you on. I know you got to go pick up your son, so I'm gonna let you go. <laughs> no, but
8: you're awesome for having me on, Richard. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate your reaching out.
1: Absolutely, man. I'm glad you're well. Stay safe.
8: If it's cold, I'll get some coffee for you up in Chicago.
1: Ah, that's all right. I appreciate it, man. Listen, stay safe, brother, and I'll be talking to you soon.
8: I look forward to it. Take care, man.
1: All right. That was Cliff Schechter. He's one of the strong voices in the uh, progressive, uh, one of the strong progressive voices in the country right now. You need, really need to follow the man. He, he's um, uh, just someone that I think you guys can appreciate the work that he does. We are going to take a quick break. The number is 773-763-9278. I see you out there, Karen, Greg, Dan, and Jim. We'll get you on the on the way back on the on the other side.
0: Jonas Pizzito, live local and progressive on WCPT eight twenty.
1: And we are back. This is Richard Chu sitting in for the great Joan Esposito, seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. We're gonna uh, we've got another one of our uh guests that'll be calling in at three thirty, a really uh, great um, social media and communications and PR person that's gonna talk a little bit about uh social media's impact on politics. But right now let's grab a couple of quick calls. I'm gonna get my man Daniel down in South Carolina. Hey Daniel, I know you're on duty right now. What's happening?
9: Yes, sir. I wanted to call. uh, You had a couple of callers asking what needs to be done. Um, I I feel like everybody's along the right track. Uh, Other countries don't have these issues. One, we don't have the guns. Uh, That's something that needs to be done. But two, uh, cops. Um, We're about the only country in the world that. Basically, we'll just take uh, an 18-year-old off the street, actually 20, 21. we we'll take a 21-year-old off the street, give him a couple of uh, weeks of training, and then give him a gun and a badge and say, go, go out and do this. Um, I myself, uh, due to, due to uh, my wife's job, I'm uh, able to get free college. I'm pursuing a criminal justice degree. Granted, a lot of this is just affirming uh, what we already know. But if, if every police officer in the United States had to get a criminal justice degree, they would see that poverty is the issue,
8: um,
9: and they couldn't be able to deny it anymore. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the other major thing is that we have to be held to the same standard from from the the lowest guy or the lowest occupation to the highest. We need to be held to the same standard. And I apologize. I've got to go. I've got to call. Thank you, sir.
1: All right, Dan. Yeah, Daniel's a, a police officer in South Carolina. He's a follower of uh, of the progressive voices across the country, and he he's a great follower of WCPT and the family meeting. And I wanted to grab his call real quick. Um, he's on duty right now, and he says some great stuff all the time. Let's go to Karen here in Chicago.
4: Hello, my friend. How are you? Hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing okay.
1: Listen, I, I got to give you I got to give you a big uh, long distance hug. And I also have to give you a little bit of a remedy from um, from my friend uh, Rebecca Cordeki in terms of just breathing. I know you were this morning. I heard you on Stephanie Miller's show, and I, I know that you were pained by uh, the video of Tyree Nichols being uh, being murdered. And and I and I feel for you. I appreciate you, and and many people appreciate your passion.
5: Listen, I, I I'll tell you right now. It's just is is a mother. Um, how can anybody listen to, um, or watch or even read about? Because I know that not everybody can watch. Um, it is a lot, but how can anybody watch and not, um, feel that that was your child crying out, yeah. um, in, in a moment like that? So I am going to try really hard not to be the chick who cries on the radio two times <laughs> in one day. But I, okay, so this is, you know, I'm a white mother. I have white children. I know that when I send them out into the world, I'm going to worry about all the usual things that moms worry about. But one thing I do not have to worry about that um, women of color have to worry about or or mothers of black, black and brown children have to worry about is if a routine traffic stop or just them driving um, through a particular area is going to get them stopped and get them killed at the hands of police. I do not have to worry about that. So, um, you know, the remedy, we have the remedy, H.R. 1280, um, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act of 2021. We have to do something about this. Um, It is just gone way beyond um, what it should have been allowed to go beyond. And um, we have a real problem with policing. And I think with the union's that we have, um, they need to bust the unions and start over. Um, they, it is a culture. It is not, you know, yes, uh, people keep pointing to and trying to kind of jumble up the issue by saying, well, but these officers were black, you know, so I can't, see? It's yeah. not it's not a racial problem. That's not the problem. But we, we know it's, it's about who is the victim and what is the common theme through all of these are um, white uh, black men that are unarmed, that are systemically being targeted by police.
1: That's the, that's thank you for cutting right through with a uh, uh, butter through hot knife or a hot knife through butter on uh, what it, what the commonality is. What, as I said to Cliff a moment ago, connect the dots. The dots that are connected, mm-hmm. that the, the flow through on every one of these scenarios is it's a person that's of color, specifically African-American, mm-hmm. male or female, that's dying at the hands of police officer mistreatment mm-hmm. one way or the other. That's the common thread. So when people say, well, see, it's not racist white cops, that's not the point. It's a policing mm-hmm. issue. It's a train... Uh-huh. My cousin retired from the Chicago police department as a commander has said to me on a number of occasions over the last couple of years, it's a training issue, which goes back to, uh, one of the, one of the ma- uh, statements that, uh, our friend, um, uh, from South Carolina said about mm-hmm. the, who comes in to become a law enforcement professional. It needs to become a profession. The only way for that to happen now is to, as Eric and I said yesterday and have said before, it needs to be stripped down to the, to the bare bones or roots need to be uprooted. It needs to be meaning policing in America, mm-hmm. in all major cities, in all cities for that matter, ripped up by the roots and restarted because that's going to be, the, the thing that has to happen to fix the problem and then raise the standard to what one of our other callers said about uh, who comes into the FBI and what the difference is. I think it was Deborah that that spoke to that about uh or Regina, I'm sorry, that said the standard there is different. It's higher. So mm-hmm. to, to your point, Karen, this is yes, race is a part of this because of who's dying. But as it relates to who's causing the harm, causing the death, causing the fear, causing the anxiety. It is the uh, problem with policing in America. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, that's that's how, I, how I'm seeing it. I don't see it as just racist cops. And yet yeah, it's easy for people mm-hmm. to go. Oh, but yeah, these five cops now six were all black. But don't you mm-hmm. get it? People are still dying at the hands of, of law enforcement, which needs and- to be changed.
5: Absolutely, and this it is a culture steeped in white supremacy. Period. Yeah, absolutely, and, and you know, and look, I you know, I I feel for you know police officers when um, you know it's like, well, you don't know what you're walking into, you don't know who you're dealing with, and because we have this insane culture, gun culture in this country, okay, and that's fair enough. But here's the thing: the Fraternal Order of Police consistently endorse Republicans. Yep. Republicans are the ones who do not want to have any kind of legislation passed. Common sense gun laws, despite the fact that the majority of people in this country want common sense gun laws passed. So let's protect everybody involved. Let's protect the police. Let's protect the citizens by getting rid of these guns and addressing the problem of racism in the
4: police culture.
1: Yep. And now that we've got we've seen evidence to show that there are uh, uh, people who were part of J6 that are part Mm -hmm. of the Oath Keepers that are part of the Proud Boys that are showing Mm -hmm. up either, you know, one person removed from being uh, for working for different law enforcement agencies in different cities Mm -hmm. in the country. So that's clearly there's an internal problem there. Karen, listen, um, I've got to come up on a break shortly and I've got to hit that on the nail. It's great to talk, to you. Great again, to, talk to you once again. A big—I'm not going to slam you into a break. I don't do it that way. You know how I am. I'm going to gently <laughs> ease you up into it. But it's I great to, to, to hear your voice it. and and um, Thank you, big hugs to you. We are going to win this battle because we're going to do it together. So yes, I'm, we will. I'm glad you're well. Um, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks for calling in. Uh, all right, Richard. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. So, listen, guys, we're going to take a break. Uh, we've got another wonderful caller uh, uh, in, a, in a few minutes after we come back from this break. The number seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. 773-763-9278. This is Richard Chu. We'll be right back.
0: Jonas Pizzito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: And we're back This is Richard Chu Sitting in for the great Joan Esposito um, I, um, What a great day today I've had some wonderful folks Call in Both uh, you listeners As well as Some of our call-in guests um, I see you out there Jim and Gregory We've got a few other people That are calling in Our regular uh, uh, call-in call in line So we will get to you I promise But right now One of our guests uh, That's called in Is uh, a wonderful uh, Friend of mine And someone that I have A tremendous amount of Professional respect for. I'm uh, going to chat with a little t- chat with us a little bit today about uh, a subject that I think a lot of people kind of dance around, but it's certainly one that's impactful right now. Uh, I'd like to welcome to the show uh, my good friend Difid Fred Richards calling in, and we're um, going to chat a little bit about uh, some things that he's working on. He is the uh, principal and CEO of The Hive Principal, which he'll chat a little bit about. But um, my man Difid is a 30 year plus veteran in the area of communication. And when I tell you, when you hear the phrase, oftentimes people are well-read, this cat's well-read and he hails from Wales, been in the United States for uh, for quite a while, but uh, I wanted to invite him on this show because I was thinking about people that could kind of chat a little bit about what he does and his business, but also shed a little bit of light on what he thinks and how we think social media is impacting politics in the United States and, and, and globally. Welcome to the show, Dyfed.
4: What's up, brother? How
1: are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. How about yourself?
10: I'm doing great. I, I do uh, two things before we start. No, I have a bone to pick with
1: you. Uh-oh. uh Oh,
10: why am I going after Cliff and Rebecca? You start low and you finish high, not the other way around. <laughs> How am I supposed to follow that?
1: Yeah, I know. Well, you get you get your Thank own. Very much, brother. <laughs> my pleasure, man. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. <laughs> so, the pleasure. So the pleasure. so listen, I'm going to dive right in, and, and I want I want you to hit a few points on telling folks about the Hive Principle, your business, and and what what the high principle is all about.
10: Sure. So in simple terms, after some 30 years in the branding and design, comms, marketing world, um, my business is to help business owners, specifically in the branding world, Uh, to understand their brand from a consumer landscape. And what does that mean? That means that sometimes these organizations are so large, the left hand doesn't really know what the right hand is doing when they put their products out into the market, from advertising, TV, literature, packaging, social media, which we're going to get into today, that all of these things don't necessarily stitch together. Uh, There's no, of course, malice in it, but the idea that I have at the high principle is to have them understand what that world looks like so they can correct, some of those things and bring it together as a holistic uh, look and feel on behalf of the consumer. An example of that is tomorrow, I'm walking some stores here in Chicago with a CMO and a CEO to literally have them see the world through their
11: consumer lens.
1: Wow. So if you guys didn't catch that, see the world through their consumer lens. In other words, from the perspective of who their customers will be, who, who their customers are, and who their customers will be so i 'm just going to dive in and ask ask the question, and I know that some of our callers may may want to uh, get in on this as well so when you and I, when you and I were talking about you uh, uh, being on and, and calling in as a guest today, one of the things that that I wanted to do is obviously have you highlight what the high principal is going to do is doing, uh, and congratulations, but also uh, in the area of communication, when I have a conversation with you, the thing that I always note is that. Um, you do look at it from, from the perspective of the end user or the recipient of the message. How is that person going to be impacted by the message that, that's out there? And in your case, mm-hmm. it's been written. It's been uh, the sp- spoken word. It's been a number of areas of outbound communication. So right now, yeah. there's, you know, that's our tool of connected. Connectiveness is communication. So my question mm-hmm. to you, broad question with lots of layers and, and sub areas when you look at social media, which in your 30-year career has been, would you say it's been the biggest game changer in communication? And, and then when you look at that question, how has it impacted politics in the United States in your observation?
10: Sure. Um, I, I think the simple answer is no, it hasn't. I think it's just made things faster. I think that if you take a look back at other communication tools, newspaper, television, radio, the telephone being in somebody's home, there's always been a reaction uh, to these new forms of technology. And it, it's, for some people, it seems a threat. I'm not exactly sure which president it was, but when the telephone was invented, I think the statement was something along the lines of, you know, almost like, how dare they? You know, one day there'll be a telephone in every town in the United States and look at where we are today, right? So there's always a, an adverse reaction to it. But I think that you know, what we've got to remember in, in political context, as well as every other context, actually, is how this is sold into us and how we've embraced it you know what have we done to ourselves the question I, I would ask ask everybody you know why have we been so willing to give up so much for so little in return and when i say giving giving up so much privacy of course and security is one of the headlines i would use but in terms of it's nothing new i, I don't think it is anything new if you look back at technology and communications specifically, and um, one of our great uh, presidents, Abraham Lincoln, he used technology in the wireless during the Civil War to great effect to keep up with almost minute-to-minute um, updates on the war and the battlefield as they were evolving. And smart politicians should be doing the same thing with all of the media that's available to them, not just social media.
1: When I had Cliff on earlier, the, one of the things that, that I mentioned, and, and he mentioned it as well, is that there's so much information when we look at things that are happening. And we could take any topic. He was kind of leaning in on um, some of the latest revelations with um, Russian involvement, if you will, with um, with uh, uh, George Santos. So. -hmm. When we when we talk about the uh, the use of social media, you said you said earlier to make sure I understood this correctly, you said it it's it's only made things faster. So, um, can you can you expound on how that in terms of politics has how it's impacted or made things uh, faster or or more uh, quicker delivery in, in politics?
10: Yeah. So the, the mechanism, of course, is, is well understood. Everybody, understand, everybody understands that you can have this information at your fingertips versus in the olden days. For those of us who remember having to do your homework at a public library, you know, it was time-consuming to have to go and find the book, go through the book, and actually have to read the book. Versus, you know, that there's a great line in the... Russell Crowe in the um, Fox News uh, show, where he plays Roger Allies, he said, You know, there's a difference between being informed and a feeling of being informed. And most people feel that, they, that they're being informed. Mm-hmm. And they're not actually digesting the facts. You know, and, and, and making a decision or changing their mind. I think that's one of the problems with social media specifically and politics. It hasn't actually served to change anybody's mind. Yes, I'm sure there are some people out there that have, but on, on a mass example, it's actually going more to polarise people than it has to bring people together. The left and the right couldn't be any more further apart than they are today. And if you actually look at the last decade or so with the likes and the rise of QAnon and, and misinterpretations and, and misinformation, etc., people believe what, they, what they've read. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, when I, when I see things like January the 6th, and, and of course all the things that come out of January the 6th, that's not really a surprise, because that has happened before. 1789 with the French Revolution, 1765 with the American Revolution, you know, that was born out of information that was created outside of the usual mechanisms. People writing and printing their own pamphlets, distributing them outside of those normal channels... And people reading that and saying, well, this is what we have to do about this. This status quo isn't acceptable. Everybody that showed up on January the 6th in the Capitol were doing exactly the same thing. It's just that we find it unpalatable today versus rose-tinted glasses of how the world has changed uh, back in the 1700s, right?
1: Yep, that's true. It's,
10: it's, look, the, the behavior is no different, except today, not enough of those individuals, thank goodness, on January the 6th were capable of overturning something. Right. Okay. In the French Revolution, the American Revolution, they were. But the mechanism is exactly the same. Exactly the same.
1: Yeah. And and that's where, again, I go to something that Eric and I talk about a lot, and that's um, people not being, in in our viewpoint, um, intellectually curious enough to do the homework, do the research. Just ask the question. Ask the question why or how or what. Um, And it seems as though. And and maybe you can you can add some some seasoning to this, that um, the faster that you referenced earlier and the people being locked in to what they believe and not changing their minds has gotten, um, for lack of better words, as I'm talking about uprooting some of the police policing in America, that's actually gotten more rooted where people are further yep. locked in. Um, and, and I guess polarization is one word we can use further away from the center or, or connectedness, all kinds of phraseologies, if you will. But it seems as though people are more locked in to their belief yeah. and not being I open.
12: That's what it's done. It's it, it
10: polarized people, right? It, it's made things stagnant. And in this particular case, with that technology that's now available to us, faster is clearly not better. Got it. If you think back to how the internet was sold into us in 1983, you know, happy birthday, the World Wide Web, you're 30 years old as of January the 1st this year. Yep. Um, but it wasn't necessarily a new idea. The idea of the internet and the World Wide Web was born in the 60s, uh, the scientific tool to trade information faster with the scientific community. And it's been commercialized in the early 80s for all of us to use. And it was sold into us almost the same way that cable TV was sold into us. <laughs> this is going to make me better, right? If you think about cable yep. TV back in the day, another technology. If you pay for this, you won't have to watch commercials. That's how it was sold into us. Yep. And look where we are today, right?
1: More, more commercials than you can. you got to turn the volume more, off.
10: Exactly. Exactly. And I think the internet was sold in in a similar way, which was uh, things will be faster, better, you'll be smarter. And there's an argument for, you know, we're going to the second enlightenment uh, right now. But I would argue that we might actually be more stupid than we've ever been before We have <laughs> so much information in front of us, right, at your fingertips. And yet people – I think Rebecca said it really, really well, actually, as one of your guests – is just take time to breathe and think and, and actually understand – If you are smart enough to say, you know, I actually might be wrong here, Mm -hmm. right? Because you have all of this information at your fingertips to say, "Mm, let me think about this again, or let me do some proper research and and, and measure these things up against each other. Because the issues that are at play with the Internet, I, I, I put them into five pillars. The first is education and information. Those two things are different from each other, right? But they sit in the same pillar. Then you have privacy and security. Then you have usability and addiction, and I think that is a big problem right now, especially with the younger generation that's coming through. Then you have commerce and theft, and then you have health and wealth. And I think if you then start stacking those things up in terms of how you're going to use it and educate yourself, you, you could be you could actually be a better person by the end of the year if you take time, like uh, Rebecca says, to breathe. And I, and I think, as Cliff said, you know, dig deep. Or or dig just a little bit deeper and have a little sense of humility about this. Whether you vote right or left or blue or red, I I don't really care. But we need to start looking towards the middle. I I heard earlier today in the call around um, civics, a a caller called into one of the other folks and said, you know, do you think you're qualified uh, to teach civics? I think it's not just about civic education. It's about um, social as well as it is historical and the arts as well. I think it's all of those things, and those things are what need to get back into schools. And I think that, I'm not going to get down to the the police conversation because I'm not qualified to, but I think it would help those conversations to have people understand what it's like to be a policeman, how tough that job is, but also policemen need to understand that the world around them has changed and the expectations are different. The fact that every single one of those policemen was wearing a body cam, and they didn't think that information was going to come up. I, I can't understand the stupidity of that moment <laughs> if you're going to behave in that manner. Well, Seriously.
1: And, and, and so, where so is the education, where, where is the education and where is the presence of mind of that very fact? And to, uh, you know, we're going to take a quick break uh, um, and and we're talking with um, my good friend, uh, David Richards, uh, the high principle, um, we're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to lean in a little bit more into what you said about, um, well, you said a number of things, but one of the things that you wrote uh, that I wrote down is I might be wrong. Uh, so when we come back, uh, we're going to dive into a little bit more. We're talking with Diford Richard at the high principle. This is Richard Chu sitting in for Joan Esposito, seven, seven, three, seven, six, three, nine, two, seven, eight. We will be right back.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: And we are back. This is Richard Chu sitting in for the great Joan Esposito, 773 763 9278. I'm talking with uh, my good friend, uh, the uh, uh, head of the Hive Principal, Difid Richards. And we were discussing before the break the the, uh, impact of social media, media in general, more broadly speaking on uh, where we are as a society uh, in general. Before we left, um, David was talking about the ways in which people have used or how people are using social media and how it's kind of created or furthered uh, this sort of protracted, uh, locked into your belief uh, polarization. And I heard him say something uh, that caught my eye that was and is in people's processing of data, processing of information, items that they've gotten on social media, the simple phrase, I might be wrong. So walk us through what you see here when it comes to that piece of one of the things that you said. I found that really fascinating, honestly.
13: Well,
10: I I think all of us, right, in in hopefully our humility, you know, look at ourselves and think, "Mm, I'm not going to admit that, right? Because for some people, that's the hardest thing to have to admit that you don't know. And I think that's where a lot of the bigotry and racism, et cetera, you, you fear what you don't know. Then that's in all of us in some way, shape or form. But one of the things I try and tell my clients, try and have my clients understand is I am not your consumer. You know, the, the old adage, you know, this should be so simple. An eight-year-old child should be able to understand it. Great. Somebody go and get an eight-year-old child. <laughs> because I I still don't understand it, you know. I I am already admitting to you that I don't understand enough of this particular problem to have for me to be able to solve it. Hence the stalwarts I, I talked about earlier, and and I think that that idea is is really important because I was reading a study from um, Harvard University. A lady, Pippa Norris, I think, wrote it uh, in the turn of the millennium. I think she finished it in two thousand seven. A study of seventeen countries. Uh, around social media and political social media and how it change things. And in terms of civil activism, it had more than doubled in terms of how people had engaged in civil activism online or cause-related activism, etc., etc. But in terms of having people change their minds on a political um, spectrum or actually increasing votes, both of those two things went down. Wow. People have been entrenched. And I, and I find that really, really sad. Like I said, you know, what's wrong with saying, oh, I don't know enough about this? Yeah. You know, that's one of the things that I, I learned in rugby early on. You know, there's always going to be someone bigger and tougher <laughs> and faster around the corner, you know, and they're going to knock your head off and you're going to have to get up and go at it again. You know, it teaches you a lot of things. And then after the game, you shake hands, you have a beer and it all goes away. That's one of the great things about that particular sport. But on one particular day, you might be one of those things. hmm And how are you then going to apply it? And that's one of the things I try and explain to my clients is, let's just say it's a social media conversation or a shopping conversation, be it in-store or online, because we all know that our purchasing habits have changed. You actually might be wrong there as well. The things that your marketing team or your sales team, et cetera, are telling you that are happening and they're not showing up in the numbers, you've got to ask yourself why. That's the very first. Simon Sinek would would tell you that. Always start with the why, and and I'm a big believer in that. But there's an ecosystem that sits around that. P and G used to talk about who am I, what am I, why am I right for you, and I think they are brilliant questions. A for a brand to ask uh, of themselves, but I think people should ask themselves that as well. Yeah, and there's a really really easy answer to that one, right? But what am I? And then why am I right for you? How are we going to engage? Or in equal measure, how am I not right for you? But it doesn't mean to say we have to engage in hostility because I'm not right for you. We should have to kind of move, like Rebecca said, breathe and move more towards the middle or face each other and say, I'm going to respect you. And I didn't know I was wrong.
1: Yeah. See, that's a, the, why, the why of this is important to me. When I look at so many things that go on, and you and I have had numbers of conversations about a number of topics, and the curiosity that's lacking uh, is, is really amazing in our society. And it's not, it's not new. It's always been there because I think that you know people have always uh, believed that they know what they know. And if they can, can laud that over people... Then they give a damn about what anybody else has to think or say or believe about something because it's their belief right. that's that dominates the conversation and um you know we've all isn't heard the f- every, go ahead sorry
10: isn't that isn't that every social media argument that either we've all been part of in some way shape or form or we've witnessed where you actually watch two friends or you like I said you've done it yourself where you end up in some kind of Facebook battle or messenger or back and forth It's like watching two. Six-year-olds arguing on a, on a school ground, you know? <laughs> and in the end, one of them will say, "Well, my dad's bigger than your dad," you know, and all the, you know, it, it's just it's childish. What happened to us?
1: Yeah, really. Well, do you think that what, what, what went wrong? And, and that's 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 the question again. Why I said earlier at the top of the hour. um... When we talk about just this issue here in Chicago, I sat in as part of the mayoral forum that that, uh, that the station was a sponsor of last week. And, you know, we like you said, and, and this just goes to show, you know, where we all can sit. Um, you said earlier you're not qualified to comment on the scenario with policing or the specific not policing, but the specific thing that happened in in, uh, in Memphis. But the thing that I observed last Thursday, uh, Dyfed, is that there weren't any. Um, there, there was no direction of why or curiosity as to why we got, you know, mm-hmm. where where we are, where we have this, you know, militarized uh, 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 uh policing, you know, manifest in, in this in not Chicago, but across the country. Why did we get there? How did we get there first before? Let's just throw us throw an answer or throw something at the, this problem. Let's get into how we got here, because we could be throwing not only the wrong thing, but the wrong amount and the, and in the wrong direction if we don't take the yeah. time to find out. Well, that, that's, what, that's why
10: I'm somewhat hopeful, actually. I, I think that you are, you are correct. It was too fast to react. In, in, when the first policeman got to the door and opened the door, he's already reacting to... Something he has clearly not fully understood that 's my perspective, but again i 'm not qualified. I can only see what I can see on the video, which is how they will be judged at the end of the day, right mm-hmm. The result of what happened in this video however where am where am I optimistic it, um, I was watching an interview the day with the gentleman uh, Tim Burnsley, who actually is credited with inventing uh, the world wide web and he was interviewed um, a couple of years ago about his optimism of the of the uh, technology that's available to us. And he said he's cautiously optimistic, but also worried in equal measure. Mm -hmm. Where I draw some optimism is what we've all experienced in the last four or five years with things like the pandemic. Because what the pandemic allowed us to do, pretty much for the first time in our history, actually, with all the things that are available to us, is allowed people to think Mm-hmm. You know, if you remember when the pandemic first came out, is everybody was sent home for two weeks. Don't worry about it. Two weeks. If you can work at home, that's great. And then we'll figure things out. And of course, it got far more protracted than that when people realized how bad it was. But that amount of time and the way it stopped, it changed the way that we consumed because lots of us were forced to go online and start grocery carts, etc., that were being delivered to our homes, and that changed the way that we thought about brands, what was available to us, what wasn't, and also it gave people a chance to look at their lives, yep. their home, how they treat their homes, how they treat their families, etc. And some people clearly decided, I just don't need this anymore. I don't need that job. I don't need that glass ceiling. I don't need that commute. And they made different choices for themselves. And technology and the Internet played a part in that, a huge part in that. Yeah. And I think that's where I, I am somewhat optimistic because some people have already made that switch. Yeah. That... So, you know, the, the, the numbers of people are turning away from social media. Thanks, but no thanks. I don't need it anymore. Facebook numbers are significantly down. Yep. Facebook old Meta is under, I think, eight. Um, law seats right now from health um, teen, uh, parents of teenagers with health issues I, I think that the chickens are coming home to roost and I don't think it'll ever go away because Pandora's box has clearly been opened yep. um, the disinformation is out there You know, there's a lot of cleaning to be done there's a debate about the splinter net for example in certain countries on how it could be regulated or forced regulation I'm not exactly sure how that affects the freedom of speech folks But something clearly needs to be done, and it's always in the consumer's eyes. Always. And the example I always cite to my clients is tobacco. Yes. Once consumers realize that, oh, this isn't such a good idea after all, I just watched one of my family members smoke themselves to death. And it was just one cigarette too many, and when consumers reacted to that, it was done.
1: Yep. Didn't take long.
10: Same question here. And I think there's, there's three categories now that are the next big consumer um, concern. It's either sugar, plastic, or social media. Which one is going to cause us the most amount of health uh, issues first?
1: That's brilliant. Well, you guys, you heard it here. This has been a great time to have um, the wonderful David Richards on. He is the principal and CEO of The Hive Principal. How can people find you? Let us know.
10: Sure. So uh, pretty simple uh, through the website, um, thehiveprinciple.com. And there's a little form in there if you want to send me an email or you want to connect with me. Of course, uh, LinkedIn is always always a great tool. If you'd like to connect with me there, I'm always posting, uh, thehiveprinciple.com again. Um, and, of course, I welcome anybody and everybody.
1: And you can check him out also on Instagram. Beautiful visuals. You guys, listen, the high principle is, is one of those new um, uh, areas of, of public relations, communication that you all should check out. I want to thank uh, Dyfed for calling in and being our guest today. We're going to take a quick break. The number is 773-763-9278. I'm Richard Chu sitting in for Joan Esposito. We will be right back.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820, and we
1: are back. This is Richard Chu sitting in for the great Joan Esposito. Um, I know we've got some callers that have been holding. Jim, I see you. Gregory, I see you. Ben, I see you. Um, we have a uh, guest calling in that I want to give her some time to chat with us. But before, uh, so when we get through. Um, After the 430 break, I will definitely grab you guys call. So sit tight. Thank you for uh, holding. And um, I wanted to take an opportunity to chat with um, a woman who is doing what a lot of people oftentimes talk about, but it's difficult to do. And that is to run for political office. And sometimes you hear uh, those of us talk about, sometimes you start where you are. You start with the office that's most available to you. um, And, you know, that's sometimes where you got to start. You just have to find a spot and have some things that you're concerned about, things that you believe in, some of your priorities. And you just dig in and you go for it. And with that, I wanted to welcome to the show a friend of mine who's running for Naperville City Council, and her name is Allison Loganbaugh. Welcome to the show, Allison.
5: Hi, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. And I have to say, it's
1: with Yeah, I know. Loganbaugh. Yeah, so
5: it's, it's Loganbaugh, yeah. My husband has been dealing with that
3: his entire life.
1: So. Well, okay, so fine. Your husband and I have a similarity, and that is, <laughs> last, and my last name is not Loganbaugh, it's And can you imagine the circumstances that I've gone through in my life with that last name? Let me tell you, there's some stories, many of which I can't (laughs) say on the air. But uh, welcome to the show. I'm glad you were able to make it today. Oh,
5: well, thanks so much for inviting me. It's exciting. And um, I'm not at all nervous.
1: Good. I'm glad you weren't, because I was, I, you know, I don't want you to be nervous. I want you to to, to be comfortable and, and feel like you're sitting uh, at at the dining room table chatting with a room full of people who support you. Uh, Naperville City Council, my goodness, you're you're about to do that thing that a lot of people don't have the guts to do, which is run in this climate for a political office of any kind.
5: Yeah. And, and it's actually my, my second time, because I ran two years ago, and I fell short by 57 votes. Man. So... See,
1: when people um, yeah, say, when people say, not to cut you off, but listen, y'all, when you, when you say my vote doesn't count, damn, 57 votes and she, 58 votes and she would have won. So I'm going to say this right now. For those of you who are listening, wherever you are listening, you need to get in the mix to help make sure we get Allison across the finish line this time so she doesn't have to do this garbage a third time. <laughs>
5: It is hard. It is really hard. It's exhausting. It's different this time because last time it was all over Zoom because it was COVID. Um, this is a, a far more um, regular type campaign, I think. Although there is a lot that's hybrid. There's still a lot that's on Zoom. So I think we took the best of what was on Zoom because Zoom is nice and efficient. You can get a lot of people in a you know Zoom room together and um, you know people come in. They ask the questions that they want. They hear from you and... Um, it's over a lot quicker than a traditional meet and greet. So we're, we're taking some of those, but for the most part, it's been all in person. So it's nice to be able to meet people face to face and talk to them. You know, all these people I've met over the past few years and I actually get to see them, which is, which is really
1: nice. So when you compare uh, your run in 2021 to now, what are some of the things that, that you have done a little bit differently?
13: Well,
5: for one, just, Just the past two years, I mean, I I didn't take my ball and go home. So I might not have won last time, but I didn't, I didn't just stop. In fact, I doubled down on my activity in the city. And so, um, I mean, I was appointed library trustee and I'm the secretary, so I'm on the executive board um i graduated from both the citizens police and fire academies which are if you have a chance to do those if your town offers them they are incredible experiences because you learn so much about what the police and fire departments do um did that i turned i mean I've, I've been going to the city council meetings since 2016. so i've i've been fully engaged in this and i've been to every meeting since 2019 so I turned that into League of Women Voters have an observer corps. And so because I'm going to the meetings already, I, you know, I, I offered my services to that. And so I was you know appointed as the official city council observer for them. So, you know, I've been doing quite a lot over the last two years. And all of that has just, just broadened my, my knowledge base so much about just how much Naperville has to offer. Um, I, you know, I've always been on social media, but I... You know, I launched, a, you know, an official, the rundown on social media where I provide live play by play on all the city council meetings. So it's like I've been doing it for the last two years. I didn't just start all of this in November when I decided to run. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fully engaged. And so that's that's definitely something different. And people know me now. They they've. My, they have my name recognition from last time. they know my bright pink signs like they they know me they 've become comfortable with me over the last two years, and I think that's definitely a big difference this time around i was, i was I came out of nowhere last time, and so this time I have a little more name recognition
1: that's great and then you 've earned that because you i wrote down i made the uh, made the note you stayed in the fight, so by staying in the fight um, that let people know that you were serious about. Uh, becoming a member of the city council, and doing the things that um, are important to the community and that you're passionate about. So with that, uh, tell us a couple, three things that are, you know, kind of really your issues or things that you're particularly passionate about as it relates to your campaign, but also once you are duly elected and sworn in.
5: So what, what got me interested was, was development. I started going because... They were going to build this really big development just two blocks away from my house there's like 13 acres of city-owned land and they were talking about putting a huge development there and so they said you know you need a body in the room for support and so i started going and i i just i really enjoyed the meetings and then i started speaking at them and um we eventually were able to get that that project put on the back burner which was good because building a parking deck right now i live right next to the train station so building a parking deck now after COVID when those those commuter patterns haven't started yet would have been a big mistake. So development is where I kind of I, I I like that stuff. Um and so I think that's definitely something where where I will have a focus. And the the key on that is, is transparency and and a collaborative process around development. Um one of the reasons why this one failed was because they didn't really involve all the stakeholders or they, they, there was the appearance of that, but it wasn't a, a, very collaborative process. It wasn't collaborative enough. Like we didn't feel heard. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why it failed. And I think the city has learned a lot from that because over the last two years, they've, they've had a few really big successes, like, um, some developments that we thought were never going to happen that, that did. And we have, a. a the ICN, the Islamic Center of Naperville, like there was a, a big fight of that. They've they've broken ground. They're going to be building a, a whole new um, development on that. There's a another development which, I mean, it had it had meetings going into the wee hours of the morning because of so much pushback, and it came up before council um, a couple months ago, and it and it passed with like very little discussion. So it's like they definitely have learned from that, and so so I I like that that. But that transparency is, is um, you know, part of their wheelhouse now. And so, like, building on that, looking at compromise, building more sustainability into development. Like, when these come in, like, can we make sure that they are ready for solar? Can they have permeable, permeable pavers, natural landscaping, bike paths? We really need bike paths in the city of Naperville. So things like that, I think we have a lot of opportunity to be able to get a lot of people on the same page and 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 get the city behind it, so that that's one thing that that I'm kind of passionate about because I because I like it. It's tangible. You can you can touch it.
1: Right. What what else is um on your list of priorities or areas that you're um, focusing on?
5: So, well, actually, uh, with uh, you know, going with development is affordable housing. Um, that's something that. You know, there's, we've we've reached the our, we've reached our borders, um, and we really want Naperville to be a multi generational city. We want to be able to grow up here and raise your family here, and then retire here. The problem is, is that you know that there's a there's a housing shortage of smaller ranch style homes, and so you know any new development needs to be able to have smaller homes that are more affordable. Not everybody wants a huge home, and so we need to make sure that these developments have that in there. So that's something that. That is um, um, a passion of mine as well. Um, And then we're the number one city in in the nation for a lot of things. We've got the number one library um, in the nation for this budget thing. So things like that. People love the library. People can get behind things like that. Um, We're the safest city. We are the number one place to raise your family. There's a lot of lists that we're on. We've got the best schools and the best police and fire departments and stuff like that. And and frankly, I want to do... Whatever it takes to keep us there, and uh, that's making sure that those city services are funded, and that if the police or fire need something, that we are we are working with them and partnering with them to make sure that they get what they need, because that's what's that's what's going to keep us moving forward.
1: So, with the issues that you know you've mentioned, obviously, these are ones that are going to build uh, literally the community and and make the community more sustainable um, with the, for the growth that's going to come from that building. Talk to me about diversity. And when I say diversity, a lot of you know I'm I'm looking at not just diversity from a, from a cultural standpoint, but talk about that and layer it in to your priorities as it relates to the growth of Naperville.
5: Well, one thing with, with Naperville, we just added and maybe it was three, four years ago, I can't remember the exact year, but they added diversity into the mission statement so it's codified in there. So that means it gives our city staff and our council it gives it gives it peace. It means that when we look at policies, we look at affordable housing, we look at that diversity's in there. Like it's our mission to build it into those ordinances and those developments and that. So it's it's really ingrained. And it's, and it's not like in our mission statement, you know, mission statements that, you know, we want strong business, we want city services and then diversity. It's not like you can pick and choose. You can't say, well, I'm just for business and ignore the other two, or I just want, you know, city services and ignore the other two there. It's it's not mutually exclusive. They all have to work in partnership and that's going to make us a stronger city. And so, so focusing on the diversity, we just hired, um, I think, maybe a little over a year ago, a new diversity, equity, inclusion manager. And under that is their housing. So she is in charge of both of those things. So they're intertwined. And so she's spent the last year doing quite a lot of studying, like looking at our our training and our personnel and making sure that, um, that we have diverse people, you know, coming in. And now uh, starting in October or last October, she did her first big diversity Um, event, which you wouldn't think that a hundred people in council chambers would be able to have a, like an event where you're, you're all doing something, but we did. And it was really fun and it worked. And there's going to be more of those. There's going to be one at the library this summer and another one that's going to be focused on the youth. And it's, and it's, it's really getting it on people's radar and making sure that they are living it and not just hearing about it it's got to become ingrained in us because it's going to make us it's going to make us stronger Um, I know one thing that's come up a lot recently is our boards and commissions and um, you know making sure that we have you know diverse representation on all of those boards and commissions we've got 19 boards and commissions in in Naperville so that that's a lot of people you're looking at what like 200 people that are that are staffing all of these it's all volunteers you want to make sure that you're advertising in the right groups so that you have qualified people as well as diverse people that, that represent our town. And right. what's, what's really cool, like for the census, Vaporville was the number one city in the nation as far as delivering census results. Like we had, I think, I don't know what the percentage is, if it was everybody or close to everybody, but we responded to the census. So using that data right. and then seeing where we need to improve. Um, it, it's going to be very valuable. So That's exciting. So diversity is, is it, it, it is exciting. It yeah. really,
4: really is.
1: Well, we're going to take a quick break um, and come back. We've got a uh, candidate for Naperville City Council, Allison Longenbaugh, on with us. This is Richard Chu sitting in for Joan Esposito. We will be right back.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: Hey, you guys, this is Richard Chu sitting in for the great Joan Esposito, 773-763-9278. We're talking with Naperville City Council candidate Allison Longenbaugh, who is giving us the lowdown on her... Uh her current campaign and the things that she's been doing to uh, take lessons from what she did back in 2021 and apply those to a, a successful bid and a win this time around. I got to ask you a couple quick questions before we wrap up. One of those is, um, and thank you for what you shared with us about the diversity of the community. But one of those is a, kind of a geographical question. Uh, Naperville, as far as I can recall, is in DuPage County, Correct. It's both in both DuPage and half of it in DuPage and half of it in Will. Okay, so how is it? um, My question is basically uh, working a working together question. DuPage and Will, and then how is the community of Naperville seen as it relates to working with those two counties and then neighboring of Cook County? Uh, Well, to be honest, like
5: neighboring with Cook County, I that doesn't really come up for me very often like that. I, I don't really, I honestly don't really see too much coming in from cook County, but the will and DuPage County that, that that's definitely something that is, is very prevalent. Um, I mean, it's Naperville's a big town. Like there are 150,000 people in Naperville. Um, I don't know the acreage, but it's, it's large. Um, and I mean, I have to admit, like I, I didn't do as well in Will County. I live in the DuPage County part of Naperville. Um, and it's Will County area is very spread out. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of coordination that needs to happen between the two counties. Um, you know, we work a lot with the townships. I mean, there, there are a lot of different municipal bodies that that cover town, you have obviously your, your municipal, you've got your, you know, your city, city council and mayor, but then you've got a lot of unincorporated areas and those are run by the townships and Naperville has six townships that sit on top of it. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the two counties. And so there are a lot of moving parts when it comes to that. And right. so it, it, it definitely takes a lot of coordination um, between all of those, those bodies, you know, when, when it comes to different projects that come on, um, like the, the one development that I was talking about, it had them all involved and also the city of Plainfield because they were talking about annexing a part into Naperville. Got it. Yeah. The township was in Will County and you know, southern, so it was, Yeah, you, know, you had a lot of different, <laughs> a lot of different bodies involved. And so, <laughs> uh, it's, it's really fascinating and that's, something that most people don't even know. I mean, a lot of people don't even know that the city council exists. You know, you got right. a mayor and you know that you, there's a school board and stuff like that happens, but the, the detail behind it all is really, it, it, that is one thing that was probably the most eye-opening in this whole process, that there are so many different layers of government involved and all you know, they all do different things. Like, Naperville doesn't have a health department, yeah. but the county does. So, like, when COVID, it wasn't like naperville could do anything we were relying on on the county doing things and so that's kind of the thing that you know people don't know they're like why isn't naperville doing this like well we can't we don't have a health department that's a county type thing so just a lot of it is is education.
1: Well, that goes back to something that that goes back to something that one of our uh, uh, callers said earlier in the show about the importance of civics. Um, I mean, across the board throughout the country, I think that understanding how um, your communities work top down and the intricacies of the integration between a township, a county and a city are important. I mean, Chicago, Cook County, state of Illinois, and even, you know, tighten that up a little bit. Chicago, Cook County, Collar counties all have to work together because we're in we're we're a metropolitan area. So it's great that, um, you know, you said that about, you know, people don't know and and kind of need to be educated about that. As we wrap up, Allison, I'm I'm going to just ask you a couple of quick, tight questions. How has your professional work and experience um, assisted you or been a benefit to you in this uh, bid for city council?
13: It's actually,
5: it's, it's huge. So I, I am a vice president at J.P. Morgan, and I've been with them for 30 years. So that's a lot of corporate experience and a lot of experience working with diverse teams, um, learning how to collaborate, learning how to solve problems. Um, I am obviously, I've been doing it for 30 years. I am a subject matter expert in quite a lot of things. I don't know everything, and I don't pretend to know everything. And so I know how to bring in those people who do. Um, I love to 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 figure out why something is is happening and ask why. So I'm that's my favorite question. Like, why is that happening? Um, what can we do to improve it? And I think those are those are all skills that would be really beneficial on council because if you think about, it, I mean, 150 thousand people is a lot of people. That means we've got a lot of staff. There's probably over a thousand people that work for the city of Naperville. Right. And that needs to be operated like a business, like a large corporation. And so, having that experience in those in that large scale, I think would really be of benefit. Like, you know, we I know what what goes on from a technology standpoint. I know about the, the infrastructure of technology and servers and redundancy and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that's just a very detailed example. But like, I understand how that works, right? And so from an infrastructure perspective, I think that that would be valuable.
1: Absolutely. So family has uh, definitely been there to support you. Um, You fell short by 57 votes last time. We're going to definitely get you across the finish line running through the (laughs) tape, as we used to say in track and field. Um, And you've had this wonderful support from your husband and from your three daughters. Um, And as we kind of, I guess you could say, Um, get this thing done for you. Um, Let the folks who follow us on WCPT, uh, that follow the family meeting um, that I host on Sundays, know how they can find you. We have some listeners I know that call into our show on Sunday that are Naperville specific, so I'm going to make sure that they they know who you are. But uh, kind of let us know how people can find you, Allison.
5: Well, I've got a website, and it's allison4naperville.com. Um, And it's got everything about me. It's also got information on voting. It has links to my social media. And then I'm on all the social medias. Again, Allison number four Naperville, and that's A L L I S O N number four Naperville. Um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Um, <laughs> I even have a TikTok on there on how to find the city council meetings, how to find the agenda. I even have a TikTok on that. Um, so, yeah, so that, that would be the best thing. We're, we're having a fundraiser this Saturday at Craigers. Uh, Craigers is a little local business. Um, they've been here for 130 years. They make um, homemade brats. And so it happens to be right around the corner from my house. Um, you mentioned running. Um, I am a runner. Bill was the one who convinced me to become a runner. He's done a ton of marathons, and so he helped me train for my first half marathon. Um, and I'm still running. I am on a streak, um, consecutive running streak. I'm on day 1344. Um,
2: that's, th- so, that's yeah, three so years.
5: I'd love to get across the fishing line, yeah, finish line. Yeah, so it's four years. So I've got two perfect streaks I've got my city council meeting streak and my running streak. Um, both about the same age, about four years.
1: That's fantastic. The election is on April 4th, correct?
5: That's correct. Yep. Yeah.
1: And yeah, so for people Early
5: voting starts or the the voting, vote by mail ballots go out the 23rd of February. So ideally, you, you know, you get a vote by mail ballot. You can research it at home. You can see who you want to vote for. Um, that's a great way to do it.
1: Fantastic. Well, Allison, I want to congratulate you on doing what a lot of people won't do, and that's staying in the fight. What I've learned um, in anything that I've done, but particularly the um, when when we're dealing with social, political, uh, financial issues, staying in the fight means you're committed to the principles of what needs to be done and how we need to help each other and work together. And listen, y'all, Allison has stayed in the fight. She deserves your vote to get out. Support her leading up to the. Uh, to the, um, the, to voting day, which is, uh, April 4th. Uh, this year. Um, She just said ballots are going to go out in late, uh, mid to late February. Get out and support her. She is one of those people that knows how to get it done. She's got a long list of successes, and I think her biggest success is the fact that she stayed in the fight to to get uh, elected this time. So again, we want to thank Allison for joining us today. Allison, I appreciate you uh, calling in as a guest. We want to give you that push that we can, and um, Keep our fingers crossed for a successful uh, campaign and and win in April. Thanks for calling in.
5: Great. Oh, well, thanks for having me. This is is really enjoyable. So thank you so much, and thanks to all the listeners.
1: You're welcome, Allison. Have a great rest of the day.
5: All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye
1: Bye now. Listen, guys, that was Allison Longenbaugh. Uh running for Naperville City Council, uh one of our neighboring cities here in the Chicago area. And uh I wanted to uh have her on as a guest because uh like I said she stayed in the fight and she's done a great job to uh maintain uh her work and making sure that like we use the phrase on the family meeting, um she sticks to what are you know her her principles and most importantly what she believes are the permanent permanent uh issues for the uh the city of Naperville. We're going to take a quick break. The number is 773 763 9278. This is Richard Chu, and we will be right back.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: And we are back. This is Richard Chu sitting in for the great Joan Esposito. 773 763 9278. I am going to go right to calls, and then we'll wrap up. My man, Gregory in Rogers Park. Hey, man. Greg, thanks for holding. We had some very important guests on today, so I wanted to make sure we got them in. But most, in, most important, most definitely, talk to you. What's going on? Do we lose you, Gregory? Are you still there? Yeah. You said he said, "Is he there?" Uh oh, he must have put us on hold. <laughs> go All right, let's go to Jim. Hey, Jim, thanks Hi. for holding, man. How are you?
14: All right, Richard, you started with crime, and all I could think of was the prohibition of alcohol. It sent it sent the crime rate right through the ceiling from every inlet in the United States to every city in the United States. People went underground, sold alcohol, and saved Valentine's. We asked her, every movie was made about gangsters who sold alcohol. That went on for years. Then you fast forward to the 60s with the war on drugs. Now, my friends who were heroin addicts that came back from Vietnam, they know exactly what streets to go to, what street gangs they could buy the heroin from. So there was an explosion of heroin use there. Then you go to the 80s, 70s, and 80s, with was a cocaine explosion. I couldn't go to Rush Street where I don't know if it's 12 Colombians were selling coke. My point is that any, any talk about crime, you have to involve it with drugs. Because if you take the monetizing of drugs out of it, and somehow we get to a point sometime in the future, uh, you'll, you'll you'll solve a lot of crimes that way.
1: So are you uh, saying? Because, so let me ask you this question: I mean, because I the, the prohibition piece is, is definitely you know we have we have movies and stories, as you said, that have illustrated you know wh- how prohibition. Um, how we dealt with prohibition and then the after um, after effects of that. So, my question is kind of this: um, Are you, in some way, saying if we were to legalize certain drugs, quote unquote, that the illegal side of it, which is a, which creates a monetary uh, corridor, would reduce crime?
14: Hey, absolutely, absolutely. They've done it in uh, Luxembourg. They've done it. In, they, they, they're ahead of us in different European countries. And not only that, but people that are hooked on a drug they don't have to steal to facilitate their habit they can get the habit gently in a drugstore for instance or and they can work and and, and and maintain uh in America you've got to steal and it's you know who knows what what you're be pushed to to get the drug anyway it, it, there's no way we can divorce ourselves from the conversation about drugs and crime it's that you're just interlinked. Anyway, thanks, Richard. Have a good night. Thank
1: you. Thanks, Jim, for calling in. I love it when Jim gives us a call. Um, You know, that conversation has been out there before about how drugs are an economic source for people to sustain themselves, maintain themselves, whether I agree with that or not, or the belief behind it. One thing is for sure. It is definitely, um, it's a conversation that needs to be had. And that's, I think, part of the reason behind uh, why we have the marijuana dispensaries now? I mean, yes, we can get into whole the whole science and the medical part of different drugs and their impact on our bodies. I get that. I'm not a scientist, but I'm smart enough to understand that they, that the impact on our on our health has is, is got to be part of the consideration. Um, but Jim makes a good point. Take the monetary part of, of the profit side out of out of uh, drugs and the illegal, illegality of them. You know, there could be some impact. Uh, did we get Gregory back or is he still, we, we, we lost him? She's, yeah, she's checking right now. You want to go Ron on the Okay, phone? yeah. Uh, let's go to Ron. Hey, Ron, what's going on? How are you today? Welcome to uh, the Jonas Esposito Show. Hi, Richard. Good to hear you. Thank you.
12: But, uh, you know, you're talking about drugs and a little bit of gangs. I want to tell you about a novel about Chicago. It's based on true uh, events that happened in Chicago. He names names. It starts with Giancana's murder in the basement and Tony mm-hmm. Ricardo's breaking into his mansion. But it began. It's called Gangland. It's a novel by Chuck Hogan. Hogan, yeah. Okay. So it's a quick read, and it's uh, historical. And uh, I just want to chime in for the book club.
1: <laughs> well, uh, my uh, my 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 history has been to read as much as I can about what I don't know about, and um, you know, I I I'm, I appreciate you bringing that to our attention. That's right, that's right. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Ron. The, the thing that, that that's critically important is, uh, as 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 a couple of our guests have stated, uh, Cliff Schechter and and uh, Dyford Richards specifically, the importance of reading, the importance of doing the research, the importance of finding out what's really at the co- uh, at the root of something that we have. What's the cause? What's the why? Mm-hmm. And even talking in this in this uh, space about drugs and um, organized crime. You know, l- let's look into why they existed, how they became, um, and frankly, how they were sustained, because they have had an impact on our greater society. There's no question about it. We've glamorized, and, um, you know, the, the mob activity, if you will.
12: And how it, it blossomed into legitimate businesses and enterprises and empires today. I mean, I contend all this gambling stuff, you know, it, all the booze commercial- it's still controlled by entities of the uh, the original uh, guys who ran, you know, bootlegging and uh, little loan sharking in, in a you know candy store and stuff like that. But uh,
1: well, yeah. Think, there. think about this for a second. I mean, um, the the breakup of Russia, the downfall of of Russia, whatever you want to call it, the wall coming down. You know, Reagan's you know um, you know Mister Gorbachev tear down that wall and, and everything that's come from from that. Um, One of the big conversations as it it relates to money and crime and corruption across the globe, and certainly in in the United States of America, um, um, uh, and I'm I'm drawing a blank on the the community specifically, but uh, there is no question behind this. And Cliff talked about this a little bit, the corruption of money that's come from illegal sources outside of the United States as it relates to our political dynamic, i.e. Russian oligarch money. Mm-hmm. As I I challenge anybody, and prove me wrong that you won't find that in the our top 10 cities in America, New York in the in the uh the Brighton Beach area, down in in South in South Florida, in Los Angeles. So, yeah, I mean that component's there. It's a profit, it's a money maker and and it always has been. So, do we need to look at it? I'm, you know, you know me, Ron. I'm always let's look at it. Let's see what can we do to to offset it with the proper amount of research and and discovery. And how is that going to benefit the greater society? You know, I don't know the answer, but I know it's certainly something to talk about. But, Ron, I appreciate you calling in. I don't want to um, push you away, but we've got to grab a few other callers and and, and, and take welcome. care of some business on this end. But thanks so much for calling in and stay safe, my You're man. Bye bye. Bye bye. Let's uh, go to Gregory in uh, Rogers Park. Hey, Gregory, what's going on?
11: Well, good afternoon, sir. I was born in Chicago, and at the time, my father was a Cook County prosecutor, and my mother was a K through second grade grammar school teacher, and I myself was an elementary school substitute public school teacher in New York City, uh, K through eighth grade, and I realize that although the science of criminology and sociology try to understand the forces that impinge on any given society to produce people who (laughs) end up committing crime and joining gangs is a complex subject uh, worthy of of multiple um, sessions of talk show hosting that you do so well. I do want to just focus on the fact that getting people in quality education programs in preschool through grammar school, middle school and high school gets them off the crime track, the gangbanger track, because they get so invested by the teachers in the community and the special education extracurricular programs that they become inoculated more so, much more so to get involved with that because they don't want to give up on all the trumpet lessons and the F- 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 Yoruba lessons and the French lessons and the math club and all the rest of it and the, and the auto shop club and woodworking, and all of that. So I'm saying, yes, education is where we really need to focus on getting these kids on the right track. And that's why I like Brandon Johnson so much because he has time in the classroom and he's got that motivational, positive, high energy uh, speaking to connect with the public and uh, and he 's got the policy chops to do it. my question to you is Paul Vallis, of course, and I was gone for twenty eight years from nineteen seventy four to two thousand two and he he 's got the technocratic chops better than anybody up there but what is what is the history of people who deal with him? What are the negatives on the uh, he's and he 's in great shape for sixty nine uh, but, uh, is he hard to work with? And, and, and that's what, I guess my question, what are the, well, what are he, the downsides, he, the career police officer, what are the downsides of, of Paul Dallas?
1: Well, let me take the baton in in a broader sense, uh, Gregory, and thank you for the, for calling in the question. Um, so this is what my observations were, um, when I sat and watched those those five candidates, as I said before, the incumbent mayor uh, Lightfoot, Chewy Garcia, Paul Vallis, uh, Dr. Wilson, and uh, Brandon Johnson, n- n- not pulling any punches, nobody separated themselves from the rest of the group like Brandon Johnson did. And to Gregory's point, um, his passion, his, his viewpoint on where the city can go if it does X, Y, Z, was re- it resonated with me. Now, that's not forsaking anything else, anything that the mayor said. I felt that she lost, she missed some opportunities to state what she's done, what's not working well, and why, and how it's going to be fixed. Um, I think that she did well, but she missed those opportunities, just candidly. Brandon brought some fresh air into the room because I felt that uh, Chewy, Paul, and uh, uh, Dr. Wilson were speaking about the same thing and nothing new in the conversation about more police officers need to be hired to correct all the problems of the city of Chicago when it comes to crime, specifically. And to Greg's question about Paul Vallis, I think the thing that is... You know, I don't know how well he is to work with or not. I'm not in, into that space on this conversation. But what I will say is that um, there are a number of people in the city of Chicago uh, and Cook County, frankly, that are not happy with uh, some of the things that went down with closing of schools and the um, the whole issues with teachers in the city of Chicago. I felt that there I feel that there is a um, certain amount of energy That's not good in his direction in that space. Brandon, um, I felt like he presented a case that says we can do better when it comes to taking care of our baseline, which is education. So to Gregory's point, who is who is an educator, a former educator, um, I look at it like this. If our children have something to do, i.e., being in school, going to school, doing all those things. Those things that are part of school, uh, like like uh, Gregory so well put, not giving up on violin, not giving up on band, not giving up on art, not giving up on math, cl- all those things that are part of education, if, if our children have something to do, then they're not out there trying to stick up grandma. They're less likely, and the data backs this up, as well as it's my observation. Those children, our children, are not going to be as susceptible to those ills. However... We can't just throw police solely at that issue or at the issue of crime, because if it's working in Lincoln Park to have kids well-educated, or if it's working in other communities in the city of Chicago or in any city in the, in the nation, then that just needs to be repurposed, revisited, uh, duplicated is a better word, in other communities. I understand. There are some structural things in those communities because of how they've been so um, de-resourced that that's hard to do. But I believe in my heart that if we were to reallocate resources toward education and strengthening those areas rather than just law enforcement, along with layering into that the mental health component in terms of these new hires, that we would see, uh, you know, a brighter a, a better light at the end of the tunnel. So, Gregory, I don't know if that answers your question or puts some some um, some context to it, but that is how I see it. If our children have something to do, they're not be they're not going to be out there sticking up folks and and you know all the other things that are happening. Greg, you still there? Did I lose you?
11: Yes, yes. That's that's a great answer. I I uh, will just sign off by saying. <laughs> It's incumbent on everybody to do their part to make it a more law-abiding assist, uh, community, and I have a commercial driving job as a wheelchair taxi cab driving. I see an unnecessary moving violation every 45 seconds to two minutes. I would like to see moving violation money go towards funding the public school of your choice for grammar school and high school enrichment programs to try to tie us all together as a team to improve the uh, law-abidingness of the society, and yeah. the investment in education for the children.
1: Well, drive safely, my man. We're going to take a quick break. I appreciate you calling in. This is Richard Chu sitting in for uh, Joan Esposito, uh, and we'll be right back.
0: Jonas Esposito, live, local and progressive on WCPT eight twenty.
1: And we are back. This is Richard Chu sitting in for the great Joan Esposito. Uh thank you for all the callers that have called in today. It's been great talking with everybody. I know we've got one more uh caller. Is that right, Paul? We're gonna grab Deborah. Deborah calling from Chicago. What's going on, Deborah?
13: Hi, how are you? Good, good. What's going on? I I spoke to you the other day. But uh you remember the D.C. Sniper? I do. What do you recall? Young man. Yeah. Older guy. Recently, there was two youth, 14, 15, 16 at, at the most, with a 45-year-old in a stolen car. But we saw um, the Nichols, Tyree Nichols, the young man was trying to do something different. He was not of that culture. Perhaps even he may have seen something and had spoke out against it, it's known that there were um, complaints against that unit, but you have those in the police department who shut him down. Please, the the, the name, KRUK, cook Veteran. I've been begging for federal investigation of the death of veterans. Those who don't want to participate or like a Nichols. So they're target. They're targets on our backs. But please bring that into the discussion otherwise you're not serious about solving the problem. We're talking about enterprises, criminal rings. And thank you for accepting my
1: call. Thanks for calling in, Deborah. So one of the things that um, I think, and I do remember uh, Deborah's uh, call I believe was yesterday on the family meeting, that um, should there be some federal involvement, I'm going to try to find the right words to use, um, not just in this situation. We, we, know, we know the Justice Department is going to get involved at some point, if nothing else, other than to say that they're looking into the matter and using you know, their, their normal um, light language. Um, but I don't know where I sit on that. I've thought about it. Should the federal government get involved, not just in this scenario, but in other uh, scenarios where these things are happening ad nauseum? Have been, as Will Smith says, they're just, they're just being filmed. Um, I'm not an investigator. I'm not a law enforcement person. Uh, I'm a citizen like you guys. Uh, I I think that a country that is so well uh, armed with resources, I hate to use that word in, in in the context of talking about gun violence, but a country that's so well armed with resources that these things should not be happening but I go back to where I started at the beginning of the show, and it's part of my dialogue, is why. How did we get here? What's, what got us to a point where we're doing X, Y, and Z? It is basic problem solving, and I believe, and we have a huge problem. So, yes, we can throw the federal government's resources at these things. We can throw you know, state, county, local uh, government resources at these things after the fact. But after the fact, people are dead. People are in crisis, I believe. We have to take the position that we want to start with if we're going to fix some of these things is discovery. How did we get here? Let's do the research. Let's do the digging in. Um, my man, Cliff Schuchter, spoke to the fact that we have things right in front of us. And I said we need to connect more of the dots as it relates to some of the issues that are going on with us uh, politically. And And right now, I don't see that happening enough. Why is that happening? Or I should say, why is that not happening? Maybe it's because people uh, have short attention spans and they just don't want to get involved and dig in. Um, When uh, my good friend Dyfed Richards called in and talked about the importance of being able to say, um, I I don't know, or maybe I was wrong, or I might be wrong. Um, I think when it comes to some of the problem solving that's so incumbent on all of us, with any of our social issues or our financial issues or our political issues, we do have to ask ourselves, a little bit of you know uh, positive navel gazing, I might be wrong or am I wrong or maybe there's something more I can learn or need to learn here. Um, and that gets so locked into uh, your position or your belief that you're not willing to change your mind and as a part of changing your mind, be able to be a Part of the solution, a catalyst toward moving us forward. I speak this way because it's what I believe. I believe I know we can do better, but I know that before we can do better, people have got to look at why and how we got to where we are. Whether we're talking about racial issues, whether we're talking about cultural issues, gender issues, financial, social, political, certainly educational issues. We have to ask how we got here Why we get why why we're here how we got here, and then we can start to get into the what are we going to do about it? Um, You will hear me say that over and over again. It is the drum that I you know, it is my it is my timpani drum from my my days in in school band that I like to be because I, I know that a lot of people like to just say, well, we need to do this. Well, maybe we don't need to do that. Maybe we're going in a direction that we don't need to go because we haven't done the research to find out how we got here. So I want to tie some 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 uh, things together and kind of put some dots together, if you will. Um, I was fortunate enough today to, to sit in and, and host uh, for Joan Esposito, who will be back, uh, I believe, tomorrow. Uh, our girl, Patty Vasquez, won't be here from 5 to 7. Um, she's, she's doing some other cool stuff, whatever that might be. But um, the reason I'm, I'm saying it this way is I was fortunate to be able to sit in and glad that um, I've been able to be here today. And my guests were by design to talk about some things in a way that, you know, we don't often talk about. I wanted to have Rebecca Kordecki on because I wanted her to talk about why we all need to take a chill pill. We all need to cool out. We all need to breathe because that's the stress factor that we're all dealing with. Um, and we all are and in many ways. Uh, I have. Found is co- is collectively making us more stressed, and then we add into the fact that if we take what Cliff said and just see what's right in front of you and do something about it, ask the question: What can I do? How can I help? I mean, you can't just sit back every day and and complain and moan about the problems. You have to ask yourself what's in front of me and how can I impact that situation and be involved. You can't be. Um, like Dyfed said, Dyfed Richards said, so locked into your own beliefs and your own way of thinking that you're not, you know, willing to change and not even so much change, but just approach things a little bit differently. I think that those are are components that we all have to be willing to, to try on. And these social and political and progressive conversations that we have will get better. Um, I, we were we were blessed to have uh, Allison uh, Longenbaugh, who's running for Naperville City Council, be a part of the show today as one of our call in guests. I'm excited about her campaign. I know she's going to do well. Those of us who are in the region, and certainly specifically in Naperville and in in the uh, in the um, the community there, you've got to get it out. You've got to follow her. Check out her website. She's a good solid candidate. She's going to represent the entire community. Uh, although she may be running with a certain uh, political letter uh, or running with a certain political um, background, she's going to represent the entire community. And I think that's the type of leadership that you want to have, someone that's looking out for your permanent interest. And I think you'll find that in Allison. So check out her website. Give her uh, give her your support. Thanks, guys, for having me today. This is the Joan Esposito Show. My name's Richard Chu, one of the hosts of the family meeting here on The Great WCPT. Y'all have a great evening. back.